Do, 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 do. Hey, everybody, it's the On Air Book for Podcast. I had something funny to say, but I forgot. Ollie Sparks needs the help of Charlie Bone. Who's that? I will find out. It's the On Air Book Fair Podcast. I'm James. I'm Miles. I'm Daniel. And it's the podcast where we think way too hard about a children's book from 2002. Uh, this week, we are reading the third uh, book in the uh, Children of the Red King series by Jenny Nemo, Charlie Bone, and the Invisible Boy. And don't mean to correct are, you there. Uh... Sorry, Wait, don't what? mean to correct you there, but uh, this was July 2004 that this came out in the U.S. Quite a gap. Yeah. Um, well, one a year. And... Uh... And let's see. So we read uh, the first half of this third book uh, up through the chapter The Wand. And if you would like to uh, pause this podcast, go down to your local library and uh, read what we read over the course of, I don't know, maybe two and a half hours. Uh, go, yeah, go to your... When was the last time you went to the library? Yeah. yeah. They still got... You know what? They still got events there. Even though you haven't been there since you were 12, uh, it's a community center, so... Yeah, get it, engaged, mm-hmm. or at least it hopefully is. Yes, especially um, in these times. Yeah. My plan now that I'm uh, vaxxed out is, uh, as I'm able to, um, I want to like teach people at my local uh, place how to play mahjong, just so that I have someone to play mahjong with. <laughs> nice. And just like po- and you know, just like post up with my little clacking tiles at a table in the library and be like, anyone wants to come from 6 to 8 in the evening, learn how to play Mahjong, I'll be here. Now that, you know, stuff is hopefully getting better, real hopeful, not sure, um, but in theory, once stuff is getting better, I still really want to have, like, a... I, I want to get a youth D&D program going, because that is some of the most fun I've ever had is teaching kids through D&D and like working with that stuff and it can be a big program for the public library and it's great and you can do an adults D&D group too and like just constant good shit bring people into libraries and teach these nerds how to do more nerd shit <laughs> yes. I'd be involved with that but I, uh, I you know you're not allowed to bring alcohol into the library yeah yeah generally that's how i played dnd <laughs> uh good jokes it's not dark you played dnd uh, at a bar d- the first time i really started sitting down to play dnd i would like get a six pack of tall boys and like grocery store sushi and like sit down literally like at a table in a grocery store with some dudes from philly oh. and uh Anything else to say? How was y'all's weeks? It was it was good. Uh, I can confirm that you can read what we read in a, uh, like two and a half hours. Can be done. Uh, <laughs> <Damn>. Yes, <laughs> we I, do this every. We I, do it every two weeks, but I cannot for the life of me like get it done ahead of time. Nope. I got the book on Tuesday night and hadn't found time to read it since. Oh, speaking of youth D&D, though, Miles, one of my former D&D students told me that he really wants to start up the the group again. I had to remind him, you're in high school now, clubs are student-run, so I'll sponsor it, but you have to get people. 
you have to organize this yourselves. I can't do it. Yeah. So you gotta have. It's one of the biggest hurdles really... of playing D and D, especially as a young person, is that you gotta have friends. Yeah. My week was reasonably good. Uh, this time last week, I was getting my second dose of the vaccine. Uh, like I said in the last episode, but I had this fun thing happen, uh, <laughs> where I didn't know that the retractable needles were a thing that existed. Oh. Uh, and when they gave me my vaccine, they also didn't tell me that that was going to be a thing that happened. So when I felt it yank back out of me and like pull on the muscle in my shoulder, I was concerned because that's not a sensation I'm used to having. And the person administering it was just like, oh, yeah, you felt that? I saw it on my end. That was crazy. Like, that's not encouraging. <laughs> and the last, to say. I gotta be honest. the last time I felt something, like, pull out of a vein of mine in that significant a way, it was when I was doing a fucking double red blood donation and the person bumped the centrifuge as it was in the return phase and it started returning shit to the meat of my arm and it made that arm sore and like really hard to use for several days so i started I having that much blood in the meat <laughs> i started so i started freaking out and i actually like <laughs> i got lightheaded and like even whiter and had to lay down because I was just like in panic mode because they didn't take that like five seconds to explain to me, hey, this thing is a retractable needle. You're going to feel a pull. Like you're, you're going to feel a pop when this is done injecting you. Like just, just give me that and I will be fine. I don't have a problem with needles so long as they're not in my eyes. But that's an eye thing. That's not a needle thing. That's some Dead Space 2 stuff. Um, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but otherwise, yeah, so my week has been great. <laughs> Did you get all gacked out? Were you feeling, like, awful from the Vax? Yeah, for, for a little while there. Um, but, you know, bounced. I, had a, I just had, like, 12 hours where my whole skeleton was just made out of... Uh, one of those ham jellos from the 70s. <laughs> Fucked oh. up. <laughs> that does sum it up, though. Yeah. I felt like I had walked to my vaccine location and back, and then got a mild fever with the second one. So wrapped myself up in clothes and blankets. Yeah, I mostly just slept for, like, a day and a half. Yeah, wrapped up in clothes and blankets like a certain mummified old wizard (laughs) that we get to see literally being carried from a car to a chair in this uh, in this part of the book. So you want to get started, Miles? Yeah, Charlie Bone and the Invisible Boy uh, came out in July 2004 in America. Which um, fun fun two facts. I don't have a I don't have a you know contemporary media deep dive like I have in the first episodes of the last two books but july 2004 was when martha stewart went to prison which was a like weird experience that was my was like i feel like a lot of our first exposure to the idea of what the stock market even was uh and just like wait what do you mean she like she told people that there she she did a thing 
because she was told that, like, it was gonna go down, so she, like, sold stuff off. Well, that's not fair. She knew some money secrets, and we were all sort of, in our childhoods, just like, nice rich lady from television go to jail like criminal? And it's yeah. like, yeah. That's what they call white-collar crime, kid. <laughs> uh, My mom also... was a big fan of her at the time, and then was kind of like, oh, she's bad now. Yeah. Um, it also, I did not get this book when it first came out, because I didn't know it came out until September, when I got it at the Fall Book Fair, uh, which, Jamie, I went to with you. Uh, because Yay. that was... Yeah, that was the... Uh, that was the first year that we actually met and got to know each other. Wow. I remember I got Charlie Bone and the Invisible Boy, and I got a Fantastic Four comic. And, like, you and I sat... I think I had that same one, yeah. yeah the you little and... comic. Yeah, yeah, it was a little comic, it was a collection of four, and it was like... Yeah. Didn't they fight the Mole Man in that one? Uh, oh. I remember they fought the Scrolls. they fought uh, Prince Namor... And yeah. I think yeah, I think it. Moon Men, and it had like an origin fu- comic at the very beginning. Oh, as always. Um, I also before we uh, get too far away from Martha Stewart, I just wanted to say that I don't believe she should have gone to jail. Um, I believe uh, insider trading and financial ma- manipulation should be a capital offense. Immediate execution. <laughs> All right, we're coming in strong this episode. <laughs> <laughs> um. But this book opens up with a much better lead-in than the preview at the end of the last book. Um, It talks about how the Red King used to have a cool black and silver boa, uh, but then one day when he was out on a hunting trip, his shitty oldest son Borlath captured it and tortured it until it lived only to kill. (laughs) Borlath's sister, Guanhamara, enchanted it so that instead of killing, it only made people invisible. And then when she died, her daughters put it in a bottle with some blue potion and a bird. Uh, and that dyed its scales blue and gave it some feathers. Um, the bottle got passed down through the generations until Ezekiel Bloor reanimated the bow with the help of his grandfather's Frankenstein-inspired research. Uh, the bow was dyed blue and had some feathers stuck in it. And the bird is still dead. I, I can't. I, I, I just. I still can't get over that. The 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 idea is that like, well, it doesn't kill them all the way. It just kills their visibility. Yeah. And I'm like, what? Yeah. What does that mean? Like, it couldn't just squeeze harder. It squeezes all of the. I don't know, light, uh, the light diffracting, folk. <laughs> particles out of all of their atoms i don't fucking know but um, it it's also, able to relieve it's a, the murder a, horniness by just making them invisible now if it's a if it's a boa and it can't squeeze something to death how would it survive like with food you know i don't know um it just turns every like mouse invisible and then it's like oh shit i'm so hungry i i fucking love the line he was less successful with the bird. It's just, it's just like all of this extravagant language. And then just, he was less successful with the bird. Fucking just, it's so funny to me. And I'm not exactly sure why it's just like this. 
like out of place sentence almost and it's just like yeah fucking rag on ezekiel he's a shitty wizard and we all know it now okay but like he ezekiel is being invisible is like really powerful but he doesn't want to be invisible because he can't turn back because it's a one-way ticket to invisible city yeah but like so so that checks out but he just like keeps the boa around like just for shits it lives in the attic and he well it's his birthright yeah but with this bird i'm just like oh is that the chekhov's gun is the bird the antidote if you can bring the bird back to life is the antidote to invisibility I mean, who we'll doesn't find out? I don't know. Yeah, we we'll only read see. half the book. Yeah. I mean, as we've seen in this book series so far, birds are kind of the solution to every plot hole. Birds are it's the solution. To be like that. Um, oh, but before that happened, there were two sections at the beginning of the book that come back for every single subsequent book. There was the little introduction to the children of the Red King and like, the character glossary, which is great. Uh, but I do have a question for you guys. Um, if you have your books on hand, can you check whenever it opens up and has Children of the Red King, it's got like a text blurb before it. Does yours talk about the Time Twister? Is it the exact same one uh, as at the beginning of Charlie Bone and the Time Twister? Because it is on my ebook. Oh, I. Hmm. Yeah, it just says the endowed children. And then describes who the endowed children are. And then it's like, yeah. oh, by the way, there was this glass sphere. It's a time twister. And I thought, okay, well, that's not what this book is about. Yeah, but same. okay, word. Okay, so that's a problem with the printing, too. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, also, then we get the family tree. For the first time, we get the Bloor and U-Beam family tree. Which, fuck, yes, I love this thing. It develops as we learn different things about the other characters over time, and I love it. Um, I can't stop yes. looking at Hilda Hansoff and think about her sister, <laughs> Doris Hansoff, uh, like a like Doris Hansoff, <laughs> and just be like, "Yeah, dude, damn near Doris Hansoff." Um, I've been I've been workshopping that one. Anything else that you guys found noteworthy in that? Uh, in that family tree? Because there were uh, things I noticed, but I want to see what you noticed. Venetia is apparently a designer of magic clothes, which sounds really baller. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's her endowment. She's a witch, but is like especially good with clothing magic. Uh, um, Grandma Maisie is like inside the crease of the page. You like can't really read oh, it. She yeah. is. Would you look which at I that? Thought, which I thought was rude. Mm-hmm. That is rude. She's right there. Okay. I didn't even notice that until you pointed it out. Yeah. Um, there's that fun thing in the Bloor family of interest in human reanimation skipping a generation. Because you've got Bertram Babington Bloor, and then his grandson Ezekiel, and then his grandson Harold. All three of them very interested in human reanimation. And their kids, not interested in it at all. Oh, There's poor Donatella a... da Vici was electrocuted to death in a Frankenstein and gone wrong. Yep. Mm-hmm. There is a recurring theme of the spouses of these people just dying, usually under yeah. very mysterious or not so mysterious causes. Yeah, you don't want to be a woman marrying into the Bloor family. No, or a man, apparently. I I Monty feel bad Bob. for I feel bad for Zelda. Yeah. 
Manfred's grandfather was lost in the Himalayas, which I can... I know it's probably not the same mountain range, but I'm just like, the Dialatov Pass incident. (laughs) Oh, Daphne died of diphtheria. And she was clairvoyant, which means she knew she was gonna die. She probably saw her being, Dude, imagine being nine years old and having a vision that you die of diphtheria, and you're like, well... Sucks to be born in the 1900s, I guess. And that not long after, your dad's gonna die. Yep. Poor Mo- See, when they said Monty Bone crashed his plane in the desert, I figured, okay, this must have been, you know, during World War II or something. No, he died in 1963. Griselda probably, like, did something to his plane. We learn more about Monty they, Bone's they, death. I will say that. Okay. Is the, is the UB man's like their whole shit, like their signature move appears to be killing people in or with cars? <laughs> right? I've noticed I mean, that. I mean, they're reliable. <laughs> when you want to kill a person reliably, like, like they try to like run Patton over and they, uh, I th- and they like apparently are trying to like demolition Derby, uh, what's his face into the fucking ground. Yeah. That teacher, what's his name? Oh, yeah. Um, Boldova. Borkenberg. Yeah. yeah Boldova. Yeah. Oh, it also answers a couple of questions for us about time scale and age. Uh, yes. We know Manfred is 18, Amy Bone is 35, Lyle is 40, Patton is 45, uh, and Grandma Bone is 65. And that Patton's mother died 38 years ago. Grandma Bone is 65. I imagined all the U-beams as being so much older. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really it's really a crazy thing because, especially when you think about the fact that, uh, Venetia is only fifty. She is, yeah. Um, which also meant that she but was I... with Yolanda from age twelve, which. Has some reasons. That's not great, but we'll talk about that yeah, we'll later. Be getting to Yolanda. Um. Oh, let's see. Yeah, that's that's a lot of the same stuff. Uh. Yeah, it tells us a lot about Yolanda in the uh, in the family tree section. So it's just like, okay, I guess we know that she's gonna be important to this book because you're telling us a shitload about her. Yep. But hey, we've got we've got things to do. We've got a book to start, and this book starts First off chapter someone dangerous. I wonder who. Yeah, we open this book with our real protagonist, Benjamin Brown. Uh, he's <laughs> headed to Hong Kong with his parents, so he needs to leave his dog with his best friend Charlie without any warning whatsoever. It's uh, such a hard ask. Like, it's really such an imposition. Is. It really is, they especially don't have since kennels in anywhere in this city. Especially since Charlie's never home, and Benjamin knows that Charlie's grandma hates animals. Um, and one of her aunts tried to get Runner Bean killed. Yeah, almost but, but, did. But Benjamin's only but Benjamin's only thing is like, but you gotta Charlie. I don't have any other my friends, and my parents apparently don't know any adults that can, you know, dog sit for a while. Yeah, I mean. He also doesn't think about taking Runner to the Pets Cafe, which, to be fair, he's only been to the Pets Cafe once, and it was at the end of last book, and he was there for, like, 20 minutes. 
And you can reasonably expect that they're like, no, this isn't a boarding home for animals. You're just supposed to eat with them all over your food and in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, he's looking out his window and he sees Charlie's aunts and uncle leave the house, leave the house separately early in the morning. Uh, and forgets to tell Charlie that, because how could that be important? Um, I mean... Yeah. Maybe they just leave... I mean, they probably leave the house every day. They got shit to do. Well, they're not... I mean, the ants usually aren't there. <laughs> yeah. But it's okay, because Charlie finds a note in his uncle's room explaining that he left to stop someone dangerous from arriving and took Charlie's wand. Uh, Charlie struggles to keep Runner being hidden, and then his aunts arrive with a very pretty girl named Belle, who Charlie thinks is weirdly mature for her age. Charlie and Belle what, talk what a, a bit strange of... person who's just yeah. arrived right now. Yeah. Charlie... I wonder who <laughs> Uncle Patton was trying to stop. Yeah, can't imagine. I'm sure it's not relevant. Yeah. Charlie and Belle talk for a bit about Bloors, and then she goes home with her aunt, or with the ants to Darkly Wind, uh, which, fucking, okay, of course, that's where they live. But first, mm -hmm. food report. I am paying a lot of attention to all the food in these goddamn books now, and I'm taking notes. Apparently, for such an important person as Belle, whatever her name is, the UB mounts insist from Maisie, like, we want light soup, cold ham, a salad, and a Bakewell tart. Yeah. <laughs> Demanding cold and Maisie's just, ham and Maisie's just like, really for, stuck out For to who? Me. For this cold ham and salad. I thought it was cold ham salad, but... No, no uh, but the, and Macy's just like, well, all this for some Shirley Temple-looking broad? I don't give a shit. Yeah. Uh, Maisie warns Charlie about keeping Runner in the house, but Charlie ignores her advice and heads off to school. Um, there's a lot that went on in this chapter and a quarter, um, which I've decided to stop separating the, um, separating the summaries by chapter or, like, if something continues doing, like, multiple chapters in one, I'm separating it by, like, when the action breaks. Okay. Uh, yeah. Because that seems to be more reasonable anyway. Um, but fucking... I know Benjamin knows nobody else except Fidelio. And, like, it makes sense to leave Runner Bean with Charlie instead of Fidelio, because if you leave Runner at Fidelio's house for however long you're going to be in Hong Kong, your dog's going to be deaf when you get him back. Yep. Yeah, they're honking up a storm in there. Yeah. Those Fidelios. And fucking... This is going to be our second book in a row with basically no Benjamin presence. Mm -hmm. But at least this time, we have a reason for it. It's not just, well, Charlie forgot that Benjamin existed. It's... Benjamin's in Hong Kong with his parents, which seems fake. It seems yeah. every time, every time something happens with his parents, it seems like a lie. Even though I'm it pretty sure it's not. <laughs> it's really fucking contrived. Mm -hmm. And it's... And Benjamin is like a sad, lonely, alienated kid, and they're like, Benjamin, well, leave your only friend and your other only friend and come with us to China. I... Or, not China, but a former, like, weird British-occupied state. Yeah. I... It's so fucking weird to me, because I'm... I don't know if this is even remotely true, but some part of my brain is like, oh yeah, at some point later, they mention how Benjamin, like, learned 
like learned some dialect of Chinese when he was in Hong Kong with his parents for a month and like cool okay I guess <laughs> if you say so yeah you do you just that's a cool thing to do is learn Mandarin Chinese in like a month no, Benjamin having could, his, a little kid could Benjamin having his first little middle school relationship when he's abroad in China for uh or in Hong Kong for a month that's actually adorable. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Going off where no one so, knows that he's a loser. So, <laughs> oh yeah, I have a girlfriend. She's in Hong Kong. <laughs> that old chestnut. Um, so, so this is all like a contrivance to make like Charlie have to babysit Runner Bean this entire time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really unnecessary. But. Um. Oh, but, but it's this, necessary enough to like cause like a little extra fold of like difficulty for Charlie to deal with because yep. he's got a he's he's gonna do again this like ET hiding in the closet shit like keeping it from his from any parents finding out and Grandma Bone is just the dumbest sack of rocks apparently she really is yep. but this book in and of its this book is Charlie Bone and pet sitting. Because Runner Bean is not the only pet that he's that he has to hide. No. <laughs> and that he will just dump on the pet's cafe, so which should have been his solution in the beginning. But okay. It, Even his mom, really as should've. as he brings the other animal into the house, his mom is just like, "Oh, come on, Charlie! Another <laughs> what? What is it this time? Do you remember the raccoon, Hogarth? <laughs> I remember the raccoon." Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and Patton took the wand, so I guess we know now why Patton was reading the Welsh Dictionary. Because he was like, ooh, Charlie's going to get this wand, and then I'm going to get to use it. You know, good for him for thinking ahead. Yeah, Yeah, honestly, and I would be surprised if Patton didn't already know a good bit of Welsh, because my guess is there's a good bit about the Red King written in Welsh um, for reasons we'll get into at another point um but like god and i like that charlie noticed that bell didn't act like a kid even before the her accidentally calling grandma bone griselda like i like that he noticed that because it's kids are intuitive and they are very good at picking up tone and like personal interaction styles and i like that he i like that he noticed that I don't know. I would. I. I wouldn't think necessarily that he's like, Grandma doesn't let anyone call her by any kid call her by her first name. But like, they are totally inconsistent and just like like certain kids. But you see, like when Billy Raven comes over and they're just like, "We love you, Billy Raven. We love kids that are obedient." Well, God, I have I have things to say about that. Honestly, it and I. It really, it ties back to their childhood and the idea of you are deserving of love if you are in line with the, with our goals. You are totally like cowed and obedient, like institutionalized kids. Like this mm-hmm. entire family tree is like weird, uh, like ward cases. Yeah. If you can't follow yeah. the rules, you don't deserve to be here. But if you can follow the rules, then, well, of course, we love you. We love you if you're well-behaved. 
Dang, this is some quiverful fundamentalist nonsense. But across the pond. real, like, yeah, like austere, like, fucked up way of raising kids. Yeah. Yeah. And... Uh, oh, and Charlie just immediately blabs about uh, about his dad being alive to someone God. he has no reason to trust and actively mistrusts. He's just like, no, I know my dad is alive. Like, Char- Charlie, shut the fuck up about your dad being alive. Yep. If they know you know, they could do something about that. Yeah. But they also, won't like... because... Ev- <laughs> because they never fucking- do no they don't every fucking antagonist in this series is toothless except honestly yolanda the main antagonist yeah. of this book she gets shit done and that's probably part of why this is my favorite book because it has the most tension yeah yolanda aka bell this shirley temple bitch that got introduced is like pretty legitimately scary sometimes um but uh yeah so so what's happening then he's going um, to school oh something i did want to mention when charlie first meets bell he's walking in from the yard after playing with runner and he's walking in and he's all disheveled and dirty and he's holding ooh a ladies magazine he's oh my god yeah <laughs> they're like charlie were you reading a ladies magazine and he's like no what were you doing in the bushes with that ladies' magazine, Charlie boy? And it just... Are you experimenting with feelings about your body, Charlie boy? God, and that that entire get, childhood that childhood experience of being caught with something completely innocuous that just through happenstance seems incriminating is huge. Like, I don't see that represented in a lot of other places, and that is, that is big. That is a big childhood to, like, preteen experience. <laughs> like, do you guys have those memories burned into your brain, too, or, or not? I have to think about well, it, sir. I, I have I a very clear one. I one time had a family one. member walk, walk into my room with me in a compromising situation, with something playing on a television that was not at, at that moment it was not my focus of attention but like given the context made it appear as such and i'm like no that was not i was not focusing on that <laughs> jamie I, 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 that's like that's the vaguest way i could phrase this but like that's <laughs> all i can say about it i i can speak a little bit less vaguely if uh i have a very clear one that is very similar to that at one point in like sixth or seventh grade, I was like changing into comfy shorts, like changing out of jeans and into shorts so that I could just like hang out comfortably. And mid change, my mom walked into the room and saw me with my pants off and the office on the TV and thought that I was masturbating to the office. No, no, I was not. Uh. But of course, my humiliation and shame on that just made it funnier for my family, and it became a running joke for several years. Uh, really into that Pam from the office. That that really only got funnier for them the more it made me upset, and I didn't have the 
I didn't have the wherewithal to be like, huh, maybe I should just uh, stop giving them a reaction. Oh, no. But, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> that was the first thought in my head when I was reading that. I was like, oh, that's, that's Charlie. I'm sorry, buddy. That's going to stick with you for some years. I'm sorry. The fucking supervillains caught you with a magazine and thought you were checking it in the backyard. Caught you with, caught you with the Sears catalog and the lingerie section. Yeah, this woman in her underwear with a little kitten. Charlie, are you considering perusing undergarments at the local Sears Robux? Yeah. Oh, and. Yeah, and it was it was Bell who called called him out on it too. Who's met for all of five seconds? Yeah, this very pretty girl who's just suddenly in his house, like. Oh. Uh, I wasn't jerking off. Is is all there is to say about it? Oh, yeah, great things. Yeah. Man, oh. things that the uh, elementary readers would not get. No. No, I was just like, oh, that's embarrassing. Oh, that's silly. He shouldn't have that. That's embarrassing. Well, let's stop dwelling on it. Moving on. Yeah, moving on. Charlie goes back to school and Fidelio and Olivia waste no time in talking about how pretty Belle is. And she seems to have caught the eye of Dorcas Loom and Asa Pike. Uh, meanwhile, Emma has found a letter on Mr. Baldova's desk calling him Samuel Sparks and warmin- warning him to flee Bloors because the shifter is headed your way and to give up Just on the sneaking. search. Just sneaking so hard. Yeah, and to give up on the search for his missing brother, Ollie, who loves jam. Emma, being, you know, smart, pieces together that Ollie is probably the person who rescued her from the tower and is invisible somewhere in the school. She goes to talk and to because Mr. In, and because in the grand like point and click adventure that this whole series is like is the only other like appearance of the word jam so that it would be like highlighted in yellow to make you think that's a keyword that's important yeah yep it's um, not like they're just eating toast and jam at random points in the book no jam is only mentioned. no I would have it would have been in my notes yep the jam is unique <laughs> to this one somebody. It, yep, it really is. It really is. I have to imagine it's like a specific kind of jam, like. But they never say what it is. Like, what is it? Elderberry? Like, is it something interesting? It's strawberry rhubarb. Yeah, like. Oh god, I got some strawberry rhubarb jam from the farmers market back at Penn State, and it was so good. I don't think I've ever had rhubarb. I need to try strawberry rhubarb jam. I don't love rhubarb on its own, but rhubarb with strawberry is nice. This Ollie is like some sort of foodie. He's got one of those jalapeno jams or like a mint jelly. I mean, he's he's a rich kid. He's he's another fucking legacy introduced to Bloors. Yep. Um, but yeah, she goes to talk to Mr. Boldova to confirm all of this, and then she and Charlie go off to find Ollie. And they find him oh, on wait. the first try. <laughs> Okay, but, like, when she's talking to Mr. Boldova, okay, so she's already, like, read his mail and then, like, told people about it. And he's like, you mustn't (laughs) tell anyone. And she's like, well, I already told Olivia and she'll probably tell my other friends. And he's like, do you trust them? Be like, yeah, absolutely. And he's like, that's good enough for me. Like, (laughs) the, the OPSEC, the OPSEC is atrocious. Like, everyone is constantly talking to everybody. There are... 
and it seems to be that like it's important to keep secrets but charlie's just like yeah i know my dad's alive and they're like i don't think you do and he's like yeah okay well i keep telling my mom it and making her like really confused and sad so yeah. take that you beams <laughs> yeah Ugh. but they find him on the first try they go back to emma's old cell and they chase him to his corner of the attic, somehow following an invisible person just by sound in an environment he lives in and they have never been to. The, the fucking it's what? It's so stupid because the trick is an invisible person is to not make sound. Yeah. Like, that's it. But they chase him back to his corner of the thing and he tells them that he saw a blue boa, so they made it attack him and turn him invisible, except for his big toe. And that he tried a oh, bunch. Oh yeah, I'm not entirely invisible. I'm like, uh, I've got like one toe sticking out. It didn't get me all the way, and I was like, wait, what the fuck? It like it doesn't kill people because it makes them invisible, but like, it has to. It's like a gradual process. It's like he, he, it, it's it's like his Achilles heel. They had to hold it, hold him by that as they dipped him into invisible. Yeah, I don't know. But they they tried a bunch of ways to turn him back, and they didn't work. So then Charlie and Emma leave. (laughs) And and there is one detail to the invisibility that, like, anything he eats is, of course, just, like, immediately invisible. So we don't have to deal with any, like, oh, the food is chewed and then sits floating around in the stomach for a while. No, no, no. But also, because it's magic, I guess, and not, like... Uh, you know, Kevin Bacon Hollow Man science, it's um, that anything he puts on also turns invisible, because otherwise I would just be like, give the kid some bandages, for fuck's sake. But the clothes he wears, oh, except that he ran out of socks, and his shoes, he outgrew his shoes, and nobody ever gave him another shoe to keep his one toe invisible, I guess. So fuck him. Well, Um, my understanding would be that his toe would still be visible in the shoe it would just be visible like now you see the shoe bit of where his big toe is mm-hmm. that's complicated it yeah. really Jeez. is yeah. but so someone just sees like a flap of leather moving around <laughs> through the school yeah because you know that kid's got shoe, leather and if you shoes. look at it from the right angle you can see skin inside here's here's a question on the part where his big toe connects to his foot do you just like see the bone and like all of the juice on the inside, I don't know, and I want from to behind? know. Hmm. <laughs> right. yeah. um, the only uh, person who. Hmm. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe they were freaking out for good reason when they looked under the table. But anyway, sorry, continue. Oh, so uh, that does happen. So then we so then we go into the Charlie Bone classic maneuver, which is how do we get this mysterious weirdo some? How do we sneak them food? Yeah. Always the problem. and It's always the problem. Is like, how do we sneak them food? Oh, I have, n- I have nothing to eat but, like, jam and old uh, beets or whatever in this attic for, like, four years, I guess. I mean, I do appreciate how Jenny Nemo is very concerned with children eating. That is good. But, like, mm. yeah. So Charlie <laughs> invites Ollie to dinner and is just like, oh, I'll make sure there's space between me and my friend Fidelio. Like, Don't an entire... An entire person's worth because, of space. Because what okay. if somebody invisible wanted to sit here? Think about that, Fidelio. Be <laughs> yeah. considerate. Um, and they also catch Mr. Boldova up on things. And he's like, holy shit, you found him already? Okay. 
I've been here for years trying to solve this mystery. I thought he was in any number of different castles, but he's just in the attic of the school. And and so Mr. Boldova is actually, uh, he's of the Sparks family. So he like he's like, yeah, I had to like pretend to work here to find him. And uh, he's just been like faking the identity of Boldova to like be an art teacher. It also raises the question, didn't he go to school here? Right. Wouldn't, like, Dr. Bloor remember him? You're right, because you do find out he is endowed, and their family yeah. is connected, because the other Sparks kid went here. Mm-hmm. So he's, like, an alum. Also, how much old... He's a teacher, and his yeah. brother was a student. Like, what's the age gap on these two? I think <laughs> Mr. Boldova is, like, 25. He's a young teacher. Which I is guess. Which um, they do they do highlight in one point whenever they talk about or at least hint at Emma having a crush on him. I want to, I want to, uh, as Which, like, we, uh, he seems like sneak... a cool guy. I understand that, but also you. Yeah. Uh, as we, well, like a child having a crush on a teacher, yeah. like that's not, that's, that's not you. That's true. If, if the, depending on how the teacher reacts to that, that's you. Yeah, um, that's true. Mr. Boldova never encourages that. He just encourages I, I think, children I think in their you have, like, a I think yeah. when you have a crush on a teacher, I think uh, there's a certain level where it's like, ah, oh, that's cute. You're like learning about, you're learning about attractive, being attracted to people or whatever or something. You get a childhood yeah. crush. I, my childhood fair. crush was Venom from the comic book, so I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> when I see that, I think, oh, how quaint. Um, look, <laughs> I got to return to my food, my food list, because we see uh, the good food, the good food mm-hmm. at the beginning of the semester that they don't keep up. They just open with it. Uh, they invite uh, Ollie Sparks down to have some chicken and bacon with cream sauce. That's apparently really good. Okay. Um, see, I think that was meant to be like, like a an Alfredo with bacon and chicken in it. Like I was it wasn't. Like an, it wasn't I was just like an a cream enchilada sauce. soup. Oh. See, we I, recently I was... made some enchilada soup that was really creamy and had chicken, and I'm like, well, a little bacon in that. Okay, okay, okay. I didn't think about that as being just a cream sauce. I thought it was just describing like, yeah, this is pasta with a cream sauce that has chicken and bacon in it. I, I, okay. Uh, I also wanted to go back to, I think like when, uh, grandma bone was fucking with, uh, uh, runner bean being at the house. Oh, yeah. Uh, Charlie was just like, yeah, fuck her. And he, t- he takes grandma bones, goose liver pate and honey ham and just feeds it to runner. Bean. He's just like, <laughs> fuck her. And even like his mom and Mazer were just like, oh, that's gr- that's Grandma Griselda's special goose liver. Yeah. And Charlie? he's like, "Fuck her, I don't care." Charlie's getting awful. bolder in this book, and I really like it. He really like is. He, he sasses like Ezekiel later on, and Grandma Bone just stops and looks at him like, "What the fuck?" What so are you that's doing what I like when he is just uh, his like uh, immediate uh, comeback to. The the U beams are just like yeah well I know you didn't really kill my dad so well I'll solve that mystery pretty soon you dumbass <laughs> and they're just like you don't know what you're talking about Johnny Man you didn't even kill my dad and he paralyzed Mister Ezekiel what the fuck are you gonna do to me <laughs> yeah he knocked that bitch into a wheelchair for the rest of his old life fuck you oh <laughs> uh, but Ollie does come to dinner. 
uh, and he gets discovered by a girl named Gwyneth Howells. Like, immediately, he eats one piece of cream chicken. <laughs> yeah, poor, Gwyneth, poor Gwyneth Howells see, sees Ollie's toe and screams. And, <laughs> and faints. And, and her friend Rosie Stubbs starts causing a commotion. And just the fact that the fact that the the two new characters introduced for an incident involving yelling over a toe have the name Howells and Stubbs. I love and hate it in equal measure. It's so yep. awful, but so good. Like Gwyneth Howells, hell yeah, she fucking does. <laughs> Knocked her out. Really did. Um, oh, and then they go to the Red King's room, and we find out that Beth and Bindi are gone, which is a shame because Beth has my favorite family history of her name, and Bindi is one of the few explicit uh, POC in the series. Did they ever come back, or is just, or was at this point was Nemo just like, "There's too many kids. I gotta, I gotta pare down the list a little." <laughs> Yeah, I'm pretty sure they're gone forever. Um, <laughs> they might come... I, I mean, Beth might come back in the final book. I don't remember, but they're, they are gone. They are gone from the series, which is a shame. Um, especially since we never even got to know what Bindi's endowment was. Yeah, we didn't. Yeah, we never got to know what her endowment was. Um, I bet she could have fire in her hands. She can't, cool. like, throw it like an X-Man, but, like, she can have it in her hands. Maybe. I like that. Um, but, oh yeah, and Belle is introduced to the rest of the endowed, and we learn that her last name is Donner. Bella Donner, and they're like, <gasps> Poison Nightshade, and she's like, not quite. In small doses, it actually makes your eyes more beautiful. Like this. Mm. Like, And then she chameleons her eyes back and forth. And they're like, ew. Yeah, and it just... I mean, compliments to her for just going for it with that name. Because we know that that's not her real name. Mm -hmm. Like, compliments to her for going with that name and thinking that no kid was gonna get it. But like, fucking... You serious right now? You want to go that on the nose with it? Though to be fair, that's like that's not a, the most a, on the nose name in the series because we now it's have an interesting the choice Sparks for a drag family. queen. Now, <laughs> the Sparks family is the most on the nose name in the entire series. It's so bad. It's yep. so oh my bad. god! Like, because we make fun of like, oh, Gabriel Silk has clothes powers and Billy Raven has animal powers. Like, what's the Sparks family's power? Uh, you know, Spark. Sparks. <laughs> yeah, they make sparks. <laughs> they make sparks. Or I don't. Or we find out later. I don't like. I was just thinking, like, what is it? Are you like I infusing radiation into these rocks or what? I, I, I don't know what that. So I, I, have a, at first. I have a thought about how the Sparks family's endowment works. Um, and it ties to Borlath, the Red King's oldest child, who was a hypnotist, but also a pyrokinesist. Pyrokineticist? Ah. Yeah, pyrokineticist. Um, he was able to control fire. So my thought is that maybe the Sparks are descended from Borlath, like they're the other split in the family tree from the Bloors, where, like, 
the Bloors got a lot of the hypnotism shit, and the Sparks got, like, the fire shit, because he does make them glow red hot, and that's why they give off those sparks. He makes them, like, almost combust. Mm -hmm. He's just not very powerful. Maybe the sparks is just the application of, like, heat powers. So it's some sort of mineral. It's, like, flint or something that, like, naturally, like, at a certain heat just starts, like... Maybe it's, like, a porous rock that, like, uh, starts, you know, like, cracking and spitting pieces off. Yeah, they describe it at one point as just being, like, hot coals that he throws. Oh, yeah. Yeah. at, At one point, it's really cool. Mr. Boldova actually just, like throws hot rocks at that uh belladonna bitch yeah um also i love that so so far dorcas has been thoroughly neutral and like not really talked to at all Mm -hmm. but this is where she kind of starts to make her heel turn because she's being given acceptance by bell because yolanda is really fucking good at manipulating people she sees this I, I, lonely I, I, kid and she's like, hell yeah, I know I know how to bring you into the fold. You're ripe mm-hmm. for the picking. I can just be like, hey, hey, you want some uh, some mentoring? Do you want some, you know, sense of belonging? Come with me. I and was it, hoping and it that there would be like one great. child of the Red King who's just like, uh, look, y'all, I just need to get my grades up. I'm trying to get into uh, <laughs> Oxford over here, so... Honestly, that's a little bit of the role Zelda fills uh, for a while in uh, in this book and, yeah, in this book, because she's a senior this year. So, like, they're studying for uh, university entrance exams and shit. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah, think about my future. Like, I'm not really planning on making a career out of this telekinesis. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, also... If the blue boa is so secret that, you know, anyone who sees it has to be disappeared, why the fuck did Lucretia bring it to the Pets Cafe at the end of the last book? Like, she just mm-hmm. had it in a cage, taking it to the Pets Cafe, out and about. This oh, word, did that happen? Years, I don't remember that. Yeah, mm-hmm. this hundreds of year old snake who was once owned by the Red King, she just had it. She just had it in a cage, took it around to the yeah, Pets I brought Cafe. An immort- I brought an immortal magic reptile from a sorcerer <laughs> to the cafe. Because they will let any old fucking animal into that cafe. It's honestly a problem. Yep. It only gets elaborated on in the first half of this book. I'm just like, what is their business model? What's your insurance <laughs> like? What does the health department have to say about this? What the fuck are you doing? I think at one point in the books there is some conflict with like the Bloors calling the health department on the Pets Cafe. Because literally there was a scene down. where like they had the dogs and stuff like in the back in the back of the cafe in the kitchen. I'm like, you're absolutely not allowed to have the animals in the kitchen. Imagine that's the degree a crazy of hair- thing. What's wrong yeah. with you people? <laughs> Imagine the degree of hairnet that Mr. Animouse has to wear though. Like he's gotta wear got arm and hand hairnets. <laughs> He's got that coat. <laughs> he is himself hairy, but like he also just wears massive furs all the time, like some gaudy queen. Also, if the Bloors oh know how to make someone invisible, why didn't they do that with Lyle Bone? Like, right. erase his memory, sure, and then make him invisible, and then put him anywhere. Yep. Just put him on yep. a boat in the ocean. Just I don't fucking no. Turn dude. him invisible. 
wipe out his brain and then send him anywhere. You mm-hmm. you still keep him alive. You still like whatever you know, just in case. But like, he's gone. It's That's why I fun. thought with all of, with all of the hinting at the beginning of the book, like who was this invisible person that opened up the the cage so that Emma could get out? And I was just like, well, if they wanted to disappear a guy, what if? It's just like they didn't kill him; they disappeared him, and it's like that could be said to like you know ship him to another country as an amnesiac, or just like put him on a boat and push him out into the ocean. But like I thought, oh no, they literally disappeared him. They used magic to make him invisible. And was that also yep. like th- th- there was the other bit where like Ezekiel Blore was yelling at his teapot for not pouring the tea right, and I was thinking like is that is is he sorcerizing the teapot to operate on its own in some sort of like Alice in Wonderland way? Or is what he's doing is he's yelling at the invisible man that's not pouring his tea right? Yeah, uh, I thought the latter. Yeah, so I wasn't sure whenever I was first reading it because I had forgotten that Ezekiel Blur was even endowed. Because honestly, I forget that like witchcraft is an endowment in this series. Like I, I just forgot that. I thought that was just a thing. Like magic existed. So there are some people who can do magic, but no. So I don't know. Just like straight up, like all forms of magic. What is this? Like, you know, Miss Peregrine's home for peculiar children. (laughs) So as far as the, like the saucepan that poured the milk wrong, whenever Billy was visiting him, that that was, was that was him. That was a lot like the, uh, like the jigsaw puzzle back in 1916. Uh, it was just him trying to use his endowment to make an object do, like follow his orders and did it improperly because he's not very good at his endowment like he's just not that powerful like this is this is wizard mickey fucking up with all of those uh brooms ah i see and so he's all resentful about it because he's like, why do I suck at magic? Why can't yeah. I have some sort of mystical dagger from inside a painting? Um. Oh. <laughs> oh, oh so they like, for, okay, so now's the point where they sort of like give up on the invisible boy, mm-hmm. the titular invisible boy. They're, he like, he runs away and he's like sad. Oh, and, and they're like, oh, well, I guess we'll get him into child services sooner or later but like what's child services gonna do fidelio and emma know charlie so goddamn well in this book like at the very beginning emma is like charlie was inclined to rush into things without thinking them through like yeah yeah yup and at dinner (laughs) that night fidelio's like didn't take you long to get mixed up in something, didn't it? It's like, here we go again. You're you're always just trying to, like, hide and or rescue some little magic boy, Charlie. Yeah, Charlie... And he's like, hey, that's not true. I also have to hide and rescue dogs, so... <laughs> um, oh, also, speaking of Lyle... Mr. Boldova is like, oh, I checked all of these castles that the Bloors have, and I didn't find my brother. Like, why isn't Lyle in one of those? Right. Yeah, why, why, why are you keeping people around like this? They're just, like, warehousing their own mistakes. Like, are the Bloors <laughs> short-staffed? <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> no one wants to work at the school where you might just disappear. 
How long has Ollie been an invisible prisoner? And like, what have they have they been keeping him? Do it's, did they like put him to work as like the nighttime custodian? So he's literally like Mickey Mouse brooming around the place because no one can see him. Um, so Ollie like, has been a prisoner for I think two years. He because right, like oh no, ends. he's been a little bit over a year. He's been missing for a little okay. bit over a year because he had gone missing a couple of months. Or no, he'd gone missing a year prior to Charlie showing up for his first day at Bloor's. Because they talk about him. Because they they talk about that one girl who went missing during the Ruin game. And they talk about Ollie Sparks going missing in the attics for like a couple of weeks a year ago. And then, and then getting shipped back home because he was too much trouble. And fucking... <laughs> Their cover story for for why Ollie never made it back to his family was, oh yeah, when we were at the bus station, he went to go get a juice and then never came back. And we just <laughs> lost him. We just lost his child. Yeah. Like, Did he have parents and stuff? Like his brother's yeah. out looking for him, but like... Yeah, his parents were like, hey, what the fuck is going on? Tell us where our son really is. Because we don't believe you. Sure are a lot of, like, missing people around this school. Yeah. But realistically, even if if they did do the, like, Ollie gets kidnapped on his way to get a juice, which they could have done, I mean, 90% chance that they just had Whedon do it. Because Whedon is, like, their one physical fixer person th that they ever use. He's the muscle. He is. He's their muscle. And he's the groundskeeper. Fucking bury someone out back. Like, come on. I'm like, sure like he they... has. <laughs> yeah. They're constantly kidnapping and disappearing people, but they just, you know, can't just... Not that, you know, we should be doing that, but you know. Yeah. You know what? I actually, I they think it makes should. sense that the Bloors keep uh, Ollie around because they need to do experiments on reverse invisibilizing sense. so that Dr. Bloor can, like, just do it if he wants. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. There just there are uh, a lot of people hiding out in this in this school. Yeah, it done. Oh, also Lysander calls Tancred Tane mm -hmm. multiple times in this book instead of Tank, which is what he called him in the last book. And I'm very confused as to why that happened. That seems like an autocorrect problem. No, no, it's because they're boyfriends and they're trying out <laughs> new stuff. And Tancred calls him uh, Sander. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which is cute. It is. Yep. I mean, They're just cute. Yep. Charlie it even, also you know. <laughs> Lysander calling him Tane just honestly it sent me into a Tim and Eric rabbit hole for a little bit. And just just yes, Lysander would like to generate a nude Tane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's Yeah, it's a Tim and Eric name. Okay. I mean he um, does run into him at them at night and Lysander says they were he was experimenting. <laughs> just, what are you doing here in the art lab? We were like experimenting, and the, and it's like, oh yeah, uh, here's uh, one application of my power is that I can carve something super good, and then my spirit ancestors will give the invisible boy a body again. Yeah, and I wanted someone to be like, well, like he has a body. That's not the problem. Yeah, it. I it, didn't understand that. I think it was that so his spirit ancestors would have like a point of reference for then giving him a new like 
physical appearance? If, if, to, Maybe I yeah, don't are, know. No. Okay. So well, what if the spirit like counteracting the magic? Like they manifest a whole new body. Like they they create like a soulless husk in the exact image of the boy, and then they pull his soul out of the invisible body and just put it into the new body. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> that's, de- a, that's the only way I can think about it. Lysander <laughs> develops that and just becomes the Shang Tsung of this series. Your soul is mine. Oh god. Oh my yeah. god. <laughs> oh, we skipped a little bit, but yeah, oh, that yeah, fucking sorry. that that sculpture scene just oh yeah, Lysander and Tancred hiding in a back room, <laughs> Lysander working some wood while while Tancred just kind of stands there pointing a flashlight cuz they can't turn on the lights or they'll get found out in this room that you had to go downstairs to get to. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. I'm what? I mean, hey, I mean, they're, like, 16, they're sneaking off, it's whatever. Like, just be safe. Be safe, kids. Make good choices. Yeah, or at least well, I, make I think choices. We're on the chapter runner, I think we're on the chapter runner being is discovered. Oh, right. Uh, yeah, yeah we're, we're halfway through chapter three. No, we're halfway through chapter four. Uh, yeah, Charlie goes home and finds out that Uncle Patton is back and Maisie's about to leave to take care of her sister. Grandma Bone discovers Runner Bean and tries to call Animal Control to put him down, but Mr. I'm gonna Alma- have him fucking killed! <laughs> Bring the cops here! Kill this dog! Yeah, uh, but Mr. Onomouse shows up and takes Runner to the Pets Cafe, which is what should have happened <laughs> Did from somebody the call for a deus ex machina? <laughs> it's me, Mr. Onomus, and my cats. I... I really, I'm really frustrated with how they explained that of just the cats took him there instead of, yeah, she called pest control. Mr. Onomouse is like the primary pest control person in this town. Why wouldn't? But then the, but then, but then like the real dog catchers of this town showed up and Charlie's like, no, it's fine. And just shuts the door on them. Yeah. <laughs> we found the dog a home. Like you, sh- you shouldn't, you shouldn't find a home for a vicious dog. It's What's not the vicious. Home? My grandma's just a bitch. <laughs> you can just call. Oh. oh, we understand. We get that all the time, young man. Yeah, you could just call them and cancel it, like Grandma Bone did with the doctor. How with the house call? Yeah, she was yeah. having for oh, Patton. Uh, oh, we have like a sixty-five-year-old man who's like extremely ill, and then like another lady calls, and she's like, "Never mind. He's fine." That would raise a real big red flag. That's well, oh, okay. We understand, man. We're just gonna uh, we're gonna come over and do a wellness check anyway. No, don't. I want him to die. Yeah, really. Um, really fucking weird. Oh yeah. Okay. I don't think we explained because Patton does show back up again, and he's just like I'm all fucked up and just collapses in bed. <laughs> he like, is. He's been awake for like 36 hours. His shit's all scorched. His hair dye totally got washed out. And he, he's been and gone he's for like, a week. The, the, the wand's yeah. all burnt up. I'm really tired. I'm going to bed. His car's burnt up. Yeah. He's got internal bleeding. Yeah. His shoulder's dislocated. Oh. Yeah. And Charlie has brought Benjamin along for this. Oh, not Benjamin, not Ben. Char- um, Charlie's brought Billy, other B name. Billy Raven has come <laughs> to visit. Uh... No, Charlie that Boyd, is the, you no, are, that's Albino, later. That's you the find next me some weekend. Oxycodone? I'm all is fucked right because... now. Yeah, that's the next weekend. Uh, yeah, Patton is not Patton is not that... conscious right now. 
Patton is not conscious. The first the first weekend, Billy is not there, and Patton Wait. is unconscious. Okay, because I thought like Billy looks at the car and says that it looks like hell. So I could have sworn yeah. that he. Oh, it's, Wait, sorry, we can... he... sorry. I, I wanted to. I wanted to roll back to something because when did Charlie like get the note from? Oh, sorry. Uh, he Uncle he Pat- goes back to realize that Uncle Patton isn't back. I misread my notes. Oh. Uncle Patton no, 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 is I... not back yet. Yeah, Uncle Patton is not back yet. Maisie's about to leave, so Charlie's about to be alone in the house with Grandma Bone. Right. Yeah that that was my mistake. Sorry. I misread my notes. I had too many negatives in there. They were canceling each other out, and I thought I would s- simplify it, and I accidentally made it the opposite. <laughs> I'm sorry, but okay. So, so I, ha- I had a I had a stupid point to make that was entirely about like the way Charlie Bone will just like do something, and like the U beam aunts or the grandma will just be like, "What are you up to?" And he's like, "Nothing." And they're like, "Hmm, clever boy. You <laughs> we'll get you next time." Because like it was at the very beginning of the book. When Patton ditches and he's like, I took the wand, I gotta stop the shapeshifter from coming. And and uh, Grandma Bones just like, oh, where's that note, Charlie? And he's like, I tore, like, I, I don't know. Uncle Patton left a note and he's like, let me see the note. I tore it up and she's like, hmm. Well, I I wish that, uh, that exchange, I really wish that exchange had gone on longer where he's just like... Uncle Patton left, and she's like, how did you know that? And he's like, he left a note. Give me the note, Charlie. What did it say? I don't remember what it said. Well, let me see it. I tore it up. Well, give me the scraps. And he's like, well, then the scraps caught fire. Give me the ashes. And he's like, I I ate the ashes. And she's like, well, poop them back out. And he's like, I can't. I'm constipated. Have a laxative. And he's like, I can't. There aren't any. You used all the laxatives. And she's like, hmm, right you are, Charlie. But next time you won't have my irritable bowels to save you. You better watch your back, young man. I mean... The weekend after this, she does buy a giant-ass jug of prunes. Oh my god, I didn't even make that connection. That was in my food notes, too. Be like, what is up with this bitch and sucking on prunes? <laughs> so stupid. I honestly think it's just there to reinforce the idea that she's old. Like, yeah, we this, know. This old lady eats gross stuff. She's only like 60-something. Oh my yeah. god. Yeah, she's 65. <laughs> Oh, wait okay so, so let's sorry let's catch up to the present like so yeah. Patton's not back Patton yeah. is not back Patton's not back and Maisie's about to leave and yeah and that's why Grandma Bone discovers Runner Bean and yeah and then Charlie spends the next day out and about he goes to Darkly Wine to spy on his aunts uh, and sees Dorcas <laughs> in Venetia's house watching Venetia and Belle turn some velvet into a bunch of beetles and uh, gets caught by cool. Yeah, it was. It was really fucking cool. Like, the writing in that spot was really good. Like, this feels like a better written book than the last one did. Mm-hmm. Like, she was on her fucking game when she wrote this one. Yeah. Uh, and so Charlie gets, like, scared and- by the Beatles cape and, <laughs> yeah. like, falls back and Asa Pike's there and he's like, what are you doing here? And Charlie's like, what are you doing here? Fuck off. And just, like, like leaves. I'm here to hook up with Belle, obviously. 
And he's like, oh, good for you. You know, she's actually really old, bitch. And, like, knocks over his box of mustaches and just, like, runs down the street. She's like, I don't care. She's another shapeshifter. One thing that stuck out to me. How how old is Asa? Asa is also a senior. He's, uh, he's like, 17, 18. Okay. Because Belle is, like, 12. Or she's supposed to be, like, Charlie's age. I'm... I'm only seeing Shirley Temple when they describe her, you know? Belle, I thought, was supposed to be, like, 14, which is still not great. It's still bad. But... They they sure go to great lengths to, like, all talk about how pretty this girl is. They really do. Maybe Belle... God, how old is Belle supposed to be? Uh, Maybe she's supposed to be... Wait, no, it's in here. Uh, Well, what if... What if she does, like, individualized... What if her shape-shifting is, like, an individualized to someone's perception where, like, she looks attractive to that person, you know? Yeah. I think she is said to be 12 at least once. It's gross. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, either way. Yeah, pretty... Very gross. Um, Oh, great. Charlie Bone and the trope of the... Very, very old person who looks super young. Yeah. Uh, so right oh. after Darkly Wind, where the ants live, which also they yeah. describe that street as like, I don't know, like ravaged by poverty and full of like weird, like dying ghouls. Mm-hmm. I, d- I was like trying to figure yeah. out like, what's this place supposed to look like? Is it just like a child's image of like a scary haunted place? Or is it like... A deindustrialized slum of this city? What are we yeah. talking about? It's supposed oh. it's it's like really overcast and shit exclusively mm. over that area. <laughs> oh, that's right. When he's running away, he also note doesn't he also like notices someone a man who looks like he's looking out through prison bars. Um he, he, yeah. he looks familiar, but he doesn't follow up on that at yeah, all. Yeah, he sees an oddly familiar man in Venetia's attic and Okay. Guess he we'll looks figure out that as though out as a another okay. time. Oh, wait. So is that like is that Mr. Pilgrim who is Charlie's secret amnesia dad who is constantly looking out of windows being faintly recognized by people and being like I don't know who I am but I'm trapped in a prison. That's the thing. Mr. Pilgrim does live at the school, but we also haven't seen him at all through this first half of the book. So if that's not if Charlie didn't look up in the window and be like, "Is that Mr. Pilgrim?" It's just like another guy that he kind of recognizes. Like, who the fuck is this? Does it matter? I don't know. So I do know who it is, and uh, we will get to who it is. I think whenever we're Wait finishing minute, up the actually... fourth book. Oh okay. D- d- did we skip over like the fight with Mr. Boldova? We or is that we've skipped. Later, that's a little bit later. We haven't skipped over anything yet, but we have been kind of jumping around a little bit. Um, okay, so, so after Darkly Wine, Charlie goes to the pet cafe again, where no, he's he like, "Thank you for taking Ingledews. care of Runnerby." He goes to Ingledew's. So, oh, right. oh right, yeah, right, right, and right. he's like, "Hey, Julia, just so you know, my my great aunt or my great uncle hasn't forgotten you. He's just possibly dead. So you feel better now, right?" He's hit by he's hit by a car again. He's he's all fucked up and dying. It's fine. Probably yeah. was a car. And then he's the not next ignoring day. you. He's just in a coma. 
Yeah. And then the next day, he goes to the Pets Cafe and meets up with Gabriel, Olivia, Emma, and Mr. Boldova, who we find out has a rat. Yay. Rembrandt. That rat is very important. That rat is arguably... Through through, through the entire first half of the book, that rat is more important than the Invisible Boy. I swear to God. (laughs) No, he is. More important than the snake at this point. Yeah, kinda. Um... Oh, fuck. Yeah. And then they talk about, you know, everything with Yolanda U-Beam. Yolanda be cool. Yeah, Boldova reveals that his endowment, not enchantment, his endowment is to make rocks heat up and glow, and that Bell was likely Yolanda U-Beam, a shapeshifter and hypnotist. Uh, He made the kids promise not to try to recruit Ollie, or not, promise not to try to rescue Ollie, as it's his responsibility, and they agreed to stay out of it, and I'm sure that's going to go well. Um, Always does. They also came to the agreement that Dorcas is probably a spy for the Bloors now, and that Billy might be on his way out of being the spy for the Bloors. Presumably because they all fucking know he's a spy. You can't be a spy if everyone knows you're a spy. Yeah, your cover's blown, because guess what? These kids have horrible OPSEC. They cannot keep their fucking mouths shut, and it's extremely obvious what they're doing at all times. It, yep. Yeah, it really is. Also, um, I... I really like... Um, I really like the way that Mr. Boldova set up the threat of Yorath, U-Beam, in this. Like, he talks about how, oh yeah, Yorath, Yolanda's father is a shapeshifter and he's probably dead but you you never really know with shapeshifters it's like he could be anyone he could be you he could be me yeah like that's really good it's obvious that yorath is you know still alive but i like the fact that you know it at least gets set up a little bit more and he refers back to these characters he talks about them like we already know who they are because we yeah they're just introducing a lot of stuff mm-hmm. yeah because we do kind of already know who they are from the fucking family tree at the beginning charlie and the kids have no fucking idea but he talks about them like hey these are some serious big fucking deal people you these are some heavy hitters you shouldn't be going up against them because you could die and your children so i'm gonna do it Stay the fuck out of it. I appreciate how much you've helped so far. Which, yes, good, more responsible adults that are going to get taken out of the equation immediately. (laughs) Because this is a problem that can only be solved by a bunch of really dumb kids. Yeah. Oh, also, Dorcas Loom and her brothers go into the Pets Cafe with a bunch of Rottweilers, and Mm -hmm. they... Jenny Nemo talks mad shit about Rottweilers in this section, talking about how they're, like, inherently violent and, like, intimidating and awful. And, like, okay. It's a little problematic. These these Rottweilers raised by the looms who were kind of shitty people, yes, okay. I will grant you that those dogs should should probably be avoided. That's learned behavior. That's the owners. Yeah, but, like, I have met very sweet Rottweilers. Like, they... They're mm-hmm. just creatures. Like, ugh. Yeah, I mean, we could get into Pitbull discourse right now, but, like, yeah. what I liked about that scene was that it highlighted the uh, inherent sort of problems <laughs> with yeah. the pet cafe is that people can just bring in whatever mm-hmm. and the animals will fight. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. hell, you... I mean, realistically, those Rottweilers may have been used for dogfighting. You get, like, a kitten or some small, like, bait-slash-reward animal in the Pets Cafe at the same time as those Rottweilers, it will be killed. Or a tarantula, or a parrot, or a magic snake, or 25 gerbils. <laughs> yeah. Or a strange It's, it's absolutely hog wild in there. Or yeah. a minor bird. A minor I want someone bird. to bring in a fucking horse. Just a whole horse to the pet cafe. Oh my god. Do you think Emma it's has England. a... It's England. They've got the countryside. They could do that kind of shit. Do you think Emma has a minor bird because she wants to figure out how minor birds talk? So that she so can she turn can... into birds that can talk. Shit, I mean, that probably, checks out. Yeah. Ooh, that'd be cool. I don't know if she ever uses that, but like piecing together why people are doing things for like off-screen development is is what I'm having the most fun with on this reread. I got confused because she has a bird, but then also like later, I think Lysander has a parrot that like mm-hmm. says ominous things. Yes, um, Lysander. Has also, a wait great on their parrot. way out. Like I think it was Dorcas Loom is there, like with her Rottweilers and brothers, and the, she she just gets bit by the bird for like poking her fingers in the cage, and I'm like, ha, yeah, yeah, get her ass. <laughs> Fucking do not poke your fingers in a bird cage. You will get you will get pecked. Especially if you're like an evil child, they can sense that. Yeah. That's true. Um, Also, oh god, not to belabor the the section with Dorcas in Venetia's house, but I... At this point, Dorcas's endowment is like, based off of her last name and based off of like, everything that's been going on, I... I love that she's getting brought into the fold and immediately introduced to Venetia because Dorcas likely has some kind of clothing based endowment. And here's Venetia being like, Hey, here's some cool shit I can do with clothing. I can teach you like that's good. Yeah, that was pretty cool. So Venetia's Mm -hmm. thing was like, she makes enchanted clothes and we saw that like, she turned a cape into beetles and like, imagine like care doing like Carrie to someone with that, where, like, they're the prom queen, but then their dress immediately turns into beetles. <laughs> oh, God. But, yeah, and I just... I love that that is... Those... That mentorship in her endowment and a sense of belonging, a sense of social belonging, are the two things that bring Dorcas to the the evil side. Because that's so fucking Approval realistic from, and like, good. institutional powers... And, yeah, uh, like that's that's adults. real and that's good because up till now Dorcas has been thoroughly neutral, and now she's being it. It's just it is showing how the evil side has stayed consistently gaining more loyal people. It's not just through threats, but it is through careful manipulation, and of course, it's being done by Yolanda, the one person who's fucking good at it. but she really is the most credible threat we've had she is she's really good (laughs) way more than ezekiel who is just the same as the ub mons just always being like hmm you are a clever boy but you won't trick us next time (laughs) it 
it's very clear that the UB mans learned from Yolanda. Like, they were practically raised by her, especially in Venetia's case. But, like, it's clear that they learned from her because they make threats in the simil- in a similar way to how she makes threats. Because at one point, Charlie's just walking down the hallway and she's, You ignore me at your peril, Charlie Bone. But, like, she follows up on shit. That is the biggest difference. She taught them how to threaten but she didn't teach them how to be competent. Oh, also, at some point, like, because Lysander was, like, doing his scheme where, like, his ancestors can, like, use a statue, a carving that he makes of the Invisible Boy to, like, give him a new body, at some point, like, uh, Belle, Yolanda, like, sneaks into the art room and, like, looks at the statue and, like, so that's their plan. I'm like, oh, you could tell from the sculpture that he was gonna use spirit ancestors to make a new body? For Invisible Boy? Uh, that's we what are you getting, could... That... We're getting very ahead of ourselves, because that's, like, oh, okay. the final chapter. We actually haven't hit oh, the point okay, where sorry. he's making the sculpture yet. <laughs> because oh Billy's got to have his eighth birthday! Yay! Eighth mm. birthday! Woohoo! Billy, uh, Bill, on Billy's first uh, birthday that he remembers, uh, he got a cake that was apparently so good that they beat a dog and a cat, because... It because got they eaten. took the cake. <laughs> Because they took the cake and be like, well, we're going to kick the shit out of some animals. Because that was a that was an expensive cake. Yeah. Um, but this is easily Billy's second worst birthday. Um, and he thinks about how he was sent to Bloor's when he was six because he revealed his endowment. Because the cat and the dog remembered the cake day and they told him every year, like, oh, Billy, it's cake day, it's cake day. What are you, um, fucking Reddit? Stop telling me about it. I don't care. <laughs> um, but then Billy Billy runs into Blessed, who's running around being like, Oh, a dog stole my tail. I can't see my tail anymore. But it's still there. I just can't see it. Like, okay, cool. The blue boa just, like, that's... only got your tail. <laughs> Billy's just like, whoa, that's weird. Why is, why is there no one walking around Bloors with just, like, a section of their ankle invisible at that point. Like, what, what the fuck? Um, I, I wonder if all the faculty, like, especially, like, the UB mons, just have, like, various, like, bits of their limbs just invisible. <laughs> They're, like, striped out. Yeah. Um, oh, and then Billy goes to tell Cook, but he sees Belle transform into Yolanda and have a really well-described, like, very good battle with uh mr boldova and that battle amounts to her turning into like a crazy ass looking witch person and attacking him with like shadow magic and him throwing some hot rocks at her and, and she's you know, like scorching her like dress a little 90. bit <laughs> oh she's real old she's like 104 at this point let me let me check let me let me check the uh the thing. The. Oh god, it's so sideways this, in like, my book. But Yolanda so was Yolanda. born in 1900, 1900, so at this point she's 100, uh, 102 or 103. And she gets him, and she gets uh, Boldova right in the eyes with the old hypnosis. And yeah. makes him forget all of his shit, especially the fact that he had a rat, and like also turns him into a dick. Which, I'm just like, 
Yeah. Is that what she did to all of the U-beams and the Blores <laughs> and everybody? Is, like, hypnotize them into just being weird assholes? Uh, no, that was more just, um, you know, abuse. The greatest uh, hypnosis ever, which is institutional emotional manipulation. Yeah. Um, so Billy now has a pet rat. Happy birthday, Billy. Your present is hey, it's all a hypnotized now. man rat. He doesn't <laughs> want it anymore. I don't have a fucking rat. Ew. And Get the rat understands me. him and takes great offense at this. Yeah. The animals are Realistically. smart. They have like near human intelligence. Rats are very smart. Oh, yes. Rats are very, very smart. I just. Um, I wanted some point I never Billy know Raven to actually. I want Billy Raven to at some point actually speak to a raven and just have like a full intellectual conversation <laughs> with it. Like the smartest animal. He's ju he's just like, hey, what's up? You've been, you know, I was reading uh, Kafka the other day and really interested in some of the themes about, like, that's what the raven talks about. Billy could have a really interesting discussion with a pig. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I want him to talk to that snake, and the snake is like speaking in old English, just like an ancient thing, <laughs> telling him vicious eldritch secrets of the past. The boa only speaks in Welsh, and he has to have Charlie translate. Uh, yeah, but then Billy goes to cook and tells her what happens, and the two celebrate Billy's birthday together while uh, Samuel Sparks leaves Bloors and gets picked up by Eustacia, whose excuse for being there right away is, I'm clairvoyant, I knew you would need a ride. Like, I mean, okay, I guess, but also, I mean, they could have just called you. Their phones. They could have <laughs> called you. <laughs> but She was just on standby, ready to get rid of him. She really was. But, yeah. But yeah, Billy and Cook celebrate Billy's birthday together, and Billy's like, hey, I know everyone hates me because I'm a spy. Cook's like, yeah, I don't blame you for being a spy, but you should probably, you know, pick who you're loyal to. And don't worry, Billy, if the Bloors don't get you parents, she says if, because she's kind, uh, if the Bloors don't get you parents, I'll make sure it happens. Like, Cook is exactly the right person to start Billy on his journey to a face turn. Yep. Because she understands that he is, above all else, a child. He is a scared, manipulated child that's being taken advantage of. And she wants to help him. Because she's a good person. I didn't realize he just turned eight. So he's been seven for like the last couple books, if not six of the early. Like, yeah. He's yeah. little, Billy Ray. Like, he, he is. Yeah, he he wants a sense of belonging. And he didn't belong with that aunt because the minute he revealed his endowment, he got shipped off to Bloors because that aunt was working for the Bloors. Also, it's supposedly that he's, like, as soon as he gets to the Bloors Academy, he's an orphan. The aunt just totally dropped him. Not even yeah. pretending... Mm -hmm. That he's like the ward of her. That she's yeah. not filing him as a dependent on the taxes. She's like, I don't want anything to do with this kid anymore. Well, yeah, that's the thing. She didn't want anything to do with him in the first place. She was just the person hired to look after him until he revealed his endowment, and then the Blurs would pick him up. 
But it really begs the question, why not just keep him with her and have him start attending Bloor's? I guess just so that they have direct control over him, but they didn't start exerting that until Charlie got to the school. They're total control freaks. Oh, they yeah. wicked are. Um, yeah. Uh, the school week resumes, and Charlie is suspicious of why Billy has Rembrandt. Uh, they have a symbolic homework session in the King's Room where Billy decides to sit next to Charlie because he's afraid of Belle. Uh, and they take Rembrandt to his cage, and Billy tells Charlie and crew what he saw. Manfred catches Billy after lights out and tells Billy he'll be sticking around after graduation and threatens to never get him adopted if he tells Charlie what uh, what he saw the other day. And it's like, well, oops, I'm not he... going anywhere. Yeah, like, oh, don't worry. I'm going to be here to keep a close eye on things. Like, look, I get that the I get that the eye threats work for everyone you can hypnotize, but you can't hypnotize Billy the line just falls flat if you do that. <laughs> I feel that's sort of a convenient little detail. They're just like, oh, because I got red eyes because I'm an albino. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's just, it's never brought up before. Yeah. I mean, I found out the reason for Charlie's ability to resist it and why he was able to see, like, shadows of the, uh, of the fucking last hypnosis that Manfred did. It makes it's sense not, that like Charlie it's our not, protagonist does, but like just it's for, not spoilery. Like, Do you want to know that, what like, this ridiculous explanation manipulate is? Billy Raven. Do you want to hear this ridiculous explanation? Yeah. Yeah. So when Charlie views someone, when he when he visits someone, there's a telepathic connection formed between the two of them. And so he's able to exploit that with Manfred. That's why he can, like, see his thoughts and shit, because he's formed a telepathic connection with Manfred now. That he can just open oh, back man. up again whenever he wants, in theory. And it's never explored. It's never talked about. I have no idea. I mean, I feel like Jenny Nemo must have said it in an interview at some point, because yeah, I would love if you it's got never into it, explored. Like it, it, yeah. You know, like, at uh, two in the morning, he just, like, gets into Manfred's head, like, sup, bitch? You trying to sleep? <laughs> yeah. It just, it doesn't make any sense to me. I didn't understand it, and knowing it now, it just doesn't make sense. It was very much just a reason why he can't, he can't be mind-controlled. Yeah. I mean, I, and I get that. how that's convenient, and for the sake of Billy Raven, it's, like, convenient that, like... They they have to emotionally manipulate Billy. They can't just directly control him. Yeah. Because that's part of his arc or whatever. Oh, it's because of my albino eyes. It's fine. I do want to say, the battle between Boldova and Yolanda is such a good example of why I love this series. Because on the evil side, you've got this like crazy powerful witch who is shape-shifting and doing mental domination. And on the good side... It's just a guy throwing hot rocks. He's got a, he's got a fistful of M80s and he's like, Blah! like at no point has Jenny Nemo worried about power balancing, and it's great. It's so it's so imbalanced, 
and it's it makes the struggles feel really helpless and un- and like especially now that we have a really good villain it, he just he just whips these like sparking scalding rock coals at her like he you know swung a hookah in her direction <laughs> whoosh yeah. and it's the the tension is so well done that like i had to remind myself that yolanda is just a person because i was imagining her like huge almost like filling the hallway like wait so no she, no, she's just she did thing. kind of start to adjust her shape doing that so her yeah. shape shifting isn't okay, just like her shape shifting isn't just like changing into a different appearance of a person. She can turn into like creatures and like fully freely control her shape shifting. Unlike say, yeah, it's uh, not just like X Men Mystique. It's like full right. everything. Yeah, unlike Emma, who can just bird. Yeah. I just love how Boldova's like, fuck you, you weird little skinwalker. I know you're not a child. I'm not afraid to kick your ass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, like, I, it's like, I know it's you, Yolanda. <laughs> I'd really like to see Boldova and Patton do, like, a combo attack. Yes. Belladonna, really? You nightshade freak? Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Is Boldova okay, though? Is he, like, alive anymore? Because he gets hypnotized out, and then, like... They're immediately, uh, one of the U-beam aunts is just, like, rolls up in the car and they're like, get in, Mr. Amnesia. And he's like, where am I? And they're like, don't wear a seatbelt, skirt, and just peels off towards the quarry or something. Yeah. (laughs) And he's like, who am I? Uh, Mr. Bolto. As Lucretia is just, like, you know, tearing off the turnpike at 105. (laughs) Um, oh. Heard you drag racing, Mister Boltova, and he's like, "Who's that?" <laughs> Fucking Eustacia is able to drive so fast and so recklessly because she's using clairvoyance to avoid getting into accidents. Oh, she's a fucking a Jedi. Fucking, that's a sick <laughs> idea. That's so cool, actually. Oh yeah, it's totally original. I didn't steal it at all from Star Wars. Wait, what? Is that expanded oh. universe? No, it's just full on. Like, it's the explanation for why Jedi are such incredible pilots. Because they're. And why they, like, never get shot down. It's because they're using the Force to avoid collisions and shit. It's or dumb. Like when, uh, but... In the Clone Wars, Anakin does that thing where he jumps, like, out of the speeder, just, like, into traffic, while also, like, falling 30 stories onto exactly the car he needs to. Yeah. Missing every other car. Yeah. As as goofy as that is, and as bad as the prequels everyone knows are, maybe it's just my childhood, but I'm like, that's a cool move. That's I, I liked it as a kid, too. That's ballsy. I mean, there's cool shit involved in the prequels, but I will always be grateful to the prequels for creating a lot more of the world building that allowed us to have really cool shit. Like, Without the prequels, we wouldn't have the Clone Wars, and the Clone Wars is real fucking good shit. Um, the show, not the uh, not the, the concept movie. itself. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking recently about the uh, the line in uh, Star Wars Three: "The Revenge of the Sith," where the, just at the beginning, where they're like infiltrating the ship, 
and like R2D2 is like fucking some stuff up, and Anakin's just like, look, no screw loose jokes, okay? And Obi Wan's like, I didn't say anything. Like, look, he's trying. I didn't say anything. <laughs> that I was just thinking about yeah. that that exchange the other day. I'm just like, what a what a fun little moment of just like pedantic bullshit that they had. Yeah, they were 100% an old married couple, and it was great. Uh, All right. Well, but we're talking anyway, about so Bone back in Charlie Bone, uh, Emma's making a plan to find Ollie in the attics and to make sure he knows that they're still planning to rescue him. And her cho- her plan on that is I'll turn into a bird and fly over there with a note. Okay. Um, but she has no idea where it is from the outside. Nope. Um, no, not at all. This is some, like, we've got to get to tension to sneak him food level plans. Yeah, That was brought up again, though. Emma, It's by Emma mm-hmm. at one point. who says, what if we just all got detention and had to yeah, stay? Like, you'd think Emma wouldn't want to spend just any like, more time in around. doors I have to possible. hide a dog. <laughs> but, yeah. um... Yeah, so she's like, hey, Charlie, make sure you leave a window open. I can't do it. Or, you know, Belle will know something's up and she'll close the she'll close the window like okay so why does charlie have to do it why can't like olivia, olivia do it oh wait emma and olivia are in the same dorm i forgot oh because they have interdepartmental <laughs> dorms um yeah that was the whole reason why uh olivia was able to bring emma to uh, to Fidelio's house in the first book was because she like could watch over her and like observe her. That's how she knew her. Okay, yeah, that made mm-hmm. all, that all makes sense. But yeah, so Charlie goes around. He tries to open a window, but he gets found by uh, Yolanda, who's just wandering around because she knows shit's up because she's an intelligent villain. And they're they're just, always she's doing the same thing that everyone else does, like Manfred and the U beams and everyone, which is just skulk around and like catch Charlie doing anything and then stopping him. Yeah, and she does. She stops him. She closes the window and then is like, "Yeah, you shouldn't be creeping around the women's dorm, Charlie. What You're are looking you for more magazines, Charlie." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but he goes and he runs around a bunch and he makes his way to the art room uh, and finds Tancred and Lysander in the sculpture room downstairs from the main art uh, studio. Just experimenting. And, yeah, they're just experimenting. Lysander's working on a carving a carving of Ollie from memory so his spirit ancestors can use it to make Ollie visible again. And Tancred is there holding a flashlight. Um, but then Tancred does some like rad shit where he just spins around real fast to create like a razor wind and just blasts a pane of glass out but he blasts it inwards but i guess he creates in one shot not even broken i guess he creates like a really really oh you know what this does make a certain degree of physical sense he creates a blast of wind so fast like around it that that fast moving wind creates a low pressure zone and like pushes the pane of glass inwards. That does make a certain degree of sense. He's using that fucking Bernoulli principle. Hell yeah. They do pay attention in school. I mean, I mean at least if Tancred I had does. wind powers, that's exactly what I would want to know is the Bernoulli principle. Yeah. Yes. Um, 
And yeah, he blasts a window open and then just leaves the pane of glass next to some boards. He's like, yeah, dude's never going to know. He's never going to pay attention. It's fine. <laughs> Dude, that teacher comes in drunk like most days. <laughs> I love that they talk about how that teacher just spends the whole time working on his own shit. Because that is so good. And that is that is just like exactly what i feel like happens at a lot of art schools is just that is real yeah. art teacher hours <laughs> yeah <laughs> um oh yeah and they're like should we charlie's like should we wait for emma to come back and license is like uh no we should go because some things are better done in private because none of them know when emma transforms whether she transforms with her clothes or not and Lysander's like we're gonna give her some privacy also, you don't want to see a human turn into a bird or vice versa. Yeah, I was thinking that the, it would be <laughs> Lysander has read animorphs. That would be the gross. <laughs> Lysander has read animorphs. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I'm not trying to see that. I don't like Emma's cute. I don't want to see her like with half of her bones turned into feathers or whatever. Ew. Yeah, Charlie actually at one point has a like really strong reaction to not being able to say the word beak. When talking to Emma, he's like, you had it clenched in your mouth. You know, your your one mouth, (laughs) when all your teeth turn into one thing, that, you know? (laughs) All right, and Emma doesn't even manage to find the place. She's flitting about as a starling, not my ideal choice for a nighttime bird, by the way. uh, Yeah. She has oh she has a close and, encounter with someone in a white nightgown slamming a door sh- uh, slamming a window shut like okay we get it it's Yolanda fucking yeah and then she and spies the on Manfred in the bathroom <laughs> she sees him just next... looking at himself in the mirror and he sees her with the little message in her beak and she goes <laughs> and flies away <laughs> And drops it. So on the next the day, the girls are like looking around the bushes, like we dropped that note here, and yeah. they're like, "Was it?" And you know, one of the U beams comes up and is like, "Was that a note here?" And they're like, "Yeah, maybe. Give it to me. I can. I tore it up. <laughs> well, give me the shreds." <laughs> I hate them. Yes. Yeah. Why didn't she turn into like an owl right. or something? I mean, depending on. I, I really want to see her develop her ability. Like, is it just birds? Is it just birds, Can though? Can a starling see in the dark? As good as an owl can, probably not, no. Mm, no. Maybe, maybe it should be a nighthawk. There's, there's a lot better birds for her to have been. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Da, 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 da. Oh, something that stuck out to me. Tancred be, or Lysander being really good at wood sculpting. And, like, being able to use his spirit magic to, like, create life or do shit with that wood kind of reminded me of, in the first episode, Jamie, you said, oh, maybe Lysander can, like, talk to or control plant life. And that just kind of stuck out to me, like, oh, hey, there's that thing. It's a connection. It doesn't exist, but it's a connection. I just thought that because Sage was a plant. Yeah, absolutely. It's a reasonable thing to think. Um, but yeah, they. He's go, named after Sage, like in a spiritual sense. Yeah, you know. Um, uh, they do go looking for the note, and they don't find it. Which, oh no, she signed it with an E. Like, they already know you're up to shit. They saw a bird with a with a letter. 
I think they know who's doing stuff. Yeah. And they're, like, constantly assuming that Charlie and all of his friends are doing shit. And, yeah, anytime Charlie is doing anything, they're like, what are you doing, Charlie? <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're not Charlie... scheming. We're not going but to Charlie stop you invites... in any measurable because it went so well the last time Billy came over to Charlie's house it was yeah, a great experience for both of them <laughs> look I know he's a snitch but like it's so fucking sad he's like really pitiful it really is like and I Benjamin's remember... gone so I don't have like a pity friend anymore <laughs> yeah <laughs> he's there to be the friend in the group that everyone feels bad for Shit, is that why Benjamin went to Hong Kong so we'd feel better for Billy? No, just as a reason that, like, well, why the 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 mysteries are the adventures already convoluted enough. They didn't want to be like, well, why didn't he talk to Benjamin? And be like, because because Benjamin left. I don't know what do you want from me. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they get He's out back... of town. He went to yeah. went to the other side of the fucking planet. They get back to Charlie's house and uh. They see, uh, they they see Patton's car, and Billy's like, "Hey, that looks like it has been to hell or through hell. It looks awful. It's been scorched, and it's just shit." And then they get into the house, and they see that Patton is the exact same. Uh, Patton, yeah, my has... man, was out there fighting the Brotherhood of Mutants at Ubeam Castle. <laughs> he, yeah, seriously. Uh, they try to wake him up, but they get interrupted by Grandma Bone, who's super welcoming to Billy, and says Patton deserved what he got for meddling, and that he's finally met his match. Like, Patton meets his... Patton met his match in the last thing with a car. Like... Yeah. yeah. Patton's match... Patton met his match in the first book with going on a date with Julia. Like, I love Uncle Patton... But he is not a particularly well-equipped person. His his worst nightmare is public social interaction, and I understand his, that. But the the, but like, the the really like the power that he wielded at the end of the first book was that he fucked up their electrical system at the school. Yeah. Like that's what his power is. He started an electrical fire in the science lab, which. I mean, he's something of an arsonist. Oh, not anymore. His powers are gone. He's like staring oh, yeah. directly at a light bulb and being like, oh, I'm too fucked up. Yeah. Yeah, he seems to have lost his endowment. He's just like, it's gone. It's gone. I can't do anything. And it's like, okay. I'm sure I mean, what it is. What were using it for? It was only a hindrance to him. It really was, but it was also part of him. Mm-hmm. And I actually bet that it's be like now I'm now I'm if I'm not in doubt I'm expendable to these people. Oh shit! I mean, they like they won't ki- they won't kill me because I'm, you know, at least part of their weird bloodline stuff. Yeah, I mean yeah. that's definitely part of it. But yeah, uh, Patton's like, oh, I thought he was dead, but he's not dead. Charlie's like, who was he? Oh, I'm too tired. My throat is too burnt. I cannot continue. Are you sure you I can't will... give me just, like, the name of him, Uncle Patton? Like, just a couple more words? Like, it might be really important. Maybe you could okay, write fine. his take name down. You... Take a nap, take a nap, take a nap. And Charlie takes the wand, which instantly heals itself, and then Charlie's like, 
Oh, I should go into Scarpo's painting because that worked out so well last time. I'll go into Scarpo's painting and maybe I'll be able to trade this wand for a cure for Uncle Patton. Like, oh, God. the logic is sound, but the memory is failing. <laughs> the, also, the logic is sound. This is like this is such a weird move. Yeah, I'll like I'll find magic. some magic medicine from Scarpo by giving him back like the wand that is extremely important, at mm -hmm. least the Patton. Even yeah. if it had worked and Patton is healed with the medicine, he's just like, you got rid of the wand, Charlie. That was our linchpin. Also, that was the only thing we had. Also, Lysander's not there. And Charlie's just like, well, no, just like grab me and pull me and it should be fine. Like, you don't know that, my dude. You only survived last time because Lysander's spirit guardians caught the flaming spear that was being hurled at you. Like, what the yeah, fuck? Yeah, last time he problem? was literally saved by magic hands, and Billy does not have that. No. Nope. Billy has special eyes, though. <laughs> he can look at the special eyes. He can, just not very well. <laughs> but, you know, like Emma said, Charlie does just kind of rush into things. He really does. Um... So he gets back into Scarpo's paintings and he's like, that guy, you little brat. Yeah, and Scarpo's yeah. just like, I don't want the wand back. It's not mine. I think it might I even be I couldn't even yours. use it. I don't know Welsh. I, it looks like it was yours to begin with. So, meh, I guess, whatever. If you want me to treat your uncle, though, I'm happy to treat your uncle. Just, you know, let me out. Let me out of here. Which, it, it makes no sense. It makes no sense to me. Because it's like, okay, he's forming this telepathic connection with this person 500 years ago. Except, he's not. Because this person is in a pocket dimension. But or I did he time I, travel? I, I... Because it's, it's never fully properly explained, and I think... I think it's pocket dimension bullshit. But I don't really I actually, know. Actually, I... It doesn't matter. I understand, like, Scarpo's motivation as a wizard to just be like, how far in the future are you from, little boy? I want to see. I want to see what happens to the to the yeah. different ethnicities I'm very focused on in my century. I mean, he's all about getting more acclaim and fame. And how better to increase his acclaim as a sorcerer than by just bring back some bullshit from Charlie's time and be like, look at this thing I made. Like imagine Scarpo going back 500 years with a fucking gun. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Dude, that, I it's, it's been talked about before, but like the coolest thing is like the time traveler wizard. That's just the dude from the future with a gun, like going back to medieval ages. And they're like, we can't stop him. He's got a, he's got magic spears that can immediately pierce our toughest armors. <laughs> there he's but all he has is like maybe a tech nine <laughs> double barrel <battle of> shotgun <laughs> he's just got he's just got two deagles it's the well i guess well what, wasn't this covered in a, i haven't seen army of darkness but isn't that essentially it that yeah. like uh this bruce campbell my... goes back to medieval times with a shotgun <laughs> and like his arm is a chainsaw and he's like i rule you now <laughs> this is my and then stick. kills a bunch of skeletons yeah Yep. Oh, man. Yeah, but so Charlie goes in, and then he comes back out again, and lands on Billy, and Billy's like, someone stepped on my foot, and then ran out of the house, and Charlie's like, I'm sure it wasn't Scarpo. Like, and, and he looks down the street, and there's, like, shadows running away from the house, and he's like, ah, that's fine. 
Yeah. But then later they realize, like, mm, I think Scarpo escaped from the painting. And they're like, well, I guess we won't really do anything about it. We'll just wait and see what happens. And yeah, I'm like, they were what like, the fuck you guys? No, they found Scarpo's mouse. And they were like, yeah. well, Scarpo can't be out. He's still in the painting. Like, yeah, so's the fucking mouse, you idiot. And, yeah, <laughs> and, and, like... And Charlie fucking roasts Grandma Bone for a moment. Because <laughs> Billy's like... Yeah, the bathroom smells wrong. Charlie's like, yeah, that's my grandma. She uses bad soap. I'm like, no, it smells like bad magic and things that should be dead. Charlie's like, yeah, my grandma uses that bathroom. Like, Yeah, it's my grandma's stank ass. Why do you think she used up all of the laxatives in the house? Her bowels are fucking irritated. Yeah, Charlie just nasty. saying, my grandma should all she be eats is dead. Pr- all she eats is prunes and goose liver pate. Her guts are a catastrophe. <laughs> Yeah, Charlie's whole, like I said, grandma line was like, that's the first time I actually laughed out loud at this book. Like, It was good. That was such a sick burn. Um, yeah, but. And, and it's, and it's through this weekend that like Billy Raven's getting a taste of like what real friends are. And mm-hmm. Charlie is also just like, look, Billy, I know you're spying on me. It sucks. You don't have parents, but like. You can't trust these fucking people. And he's like, yeah, they have been really mean to me. And, like, they seem to, like, not have parents to show me. And they, and he's like, there's a lot of people that can get you parents. I think they're just, you know, they're just manipulating you. Yeah, he... So? Charlie outright tells Billy, you need to pick a side. But... And, and in that conversation, he talks about the photograph that Billy showed him of his parents... And he just says, they seemed nice. He doesn't bother to tell him, yeah, Billy, by the way, I lied because you're a kid and I didn't want to hurt your feelings, but the Bloors had absolutely everything to do with your parents dying. He doesn't so think to tell him that, that when exact he's... moment to spill the beans and get exactly. Billy's allegiance back. Look, yeah. trust me, Forever. I heard the painting. Uh, I, or I heard the picture. The Bloors took out your parents. Yeah, it just... Like, I get that it it's hard to come to terms with and like come clean about having lied to someone, especially when you're now asking them to trust you. But like, who's the worst liar there? Cause I'm pretty sure it's not Charlie. Look, I may have lied to you, but I didn't kill your parents and then lie to you. Yeah. So Ugh. lesser of two evils, I guess. And Typical yeah, the boys. next the next morning, they try to look for the mouse, and they can't find it. Fucking, that night, they look for the mouse, they see it, and Billy's like, should we try and catch it, or should we let it go? And it goes down a hole, and Charlie just says, well, that's it then. Like, try try harder, Charlie. Put in any effort. spinning as it is. And Billy, like, can hear this poor mouse going, what the fuck? Where am I? How did I get here? Ah! Just, like, running around (laughs) screaming. Existential crazy. But then Ezekiel Bloor shows up the next day and takes Billy home back to Bloor's because, (laughs) because Charlie's a bad influence. And I swear to God, he didn't come there to take Billy back. He came there because... Oh, Charlie's... Because Grandma Bone absolutely called him and was like, Charlie's associating with Billy. Charlie's coming into the fold. Let's use this as an opportunity. Let's immediately play our hand and tell him, (laughs) 
oh, it's so good. Like, now that you're talking to Billy for the first time in months, why don't you come and join our side, the one that's been hurting you for so long? Like, give some time for this to happen. Don't immediately jump into this shit. What the fuck is wrong with you? And I wanted... And there was a bit where Charlie, like, literally, like, held his tongue, but I wanted him to fucking own his answer. Be like, oh, you remember that, like, goose liver pate and cold ham? Uh, the fucking Runner Bean loved that shit, dude. He slopped that up and pooped it into the backyard, like, immediately. Um, but I, like, I want him to, like, get some sick owns. Um, I want him to fucking totally dunk on his fucking shitty family. But now that we're introducing Ezekiel Blorback, who is carried by the groundskeeper in, like, a little, like... <laughs> like paraplegic old man bindle out of the limo and into the house i finally realized who i would fantasy cast for ezekiel blore and it is the fictional character of the old david lopan from big trouble in little china played by james hong i'm posting the picture in the chat right now <laughs> Because he is in a wheelchair, and this is a picture of him with his face glowing from magic because he's also like an ancient Chinese sorcerer. And here's a picture of him on the phone when he's just like, Charlie, will you bring me the time twister? <laughs> I'll get you next time. The UP mans are coming. They're gonna take us. They're gonna take all of your rats. You won't get away with it this time, Charlie. <laughs> Oh, God. Dude, I fucking love Big Trouble in Little China. That's like one of my top five movies. Um, I think he still comes in just under Prince Philip for me for casting Ezekiel Bloor. But he has the skeletal look down. And James Hong is just also top five favorite actors. He's just incredible and he does so much. Yeah. He's like he's like in everything. Whenever they need an old Chinese guy, it's always Han. Yeah. Um Oh, and at one point Charlie they're like, We want you on our side, Charlie. And Charlie's like, if you want me on your side, you have a shitty way of showing it mm-hmm. because you're constantly trying to hurt me. And Grandma Bone just looks at him like you know, that's pretty smart. I didn't expect him to put that together. Like, either that or she just realized it. Like, she had that moment of realization of, oh, huh, maybe hurting people isn't the way to get them on your side? Maybe you catch more flies with honey than vinegar. Also, I just looked it up. James Hong is, right now, the age that Yolanda is. 92. (laughs) This man is old as hell. Fucking... Griselda having that moment of, oh, was my childhood traumatic? Are we the are, are, we, are the we the baddies? baddies? <laughs> yeah. But then, but then the mouse shows up and the rat shows and the uh, and they forget yeah. all about that. Yeah, because you have to kill that mouse, Whedon, smash its head in. Like, okay, all right, fine. Every Weirdo. animal I see, I want it dead. I want him dead. I want his whole family dead. I hate this fucking dog. I hate these rats. Yeah, and then Charlie just runs out of the house with Rembrandt in the box with the Bloors and his grandma in his house alone, except for Patton. Like, Charlie, no, do not abandon home base like this. 
what are you doing? The wand is upstairs. Mm-hmm. And, all, and all the U-beams are going to be like, oh, no. How did all of this, uh, how did all of these sleeping pills get into Uncle Patton's smoothie? What a tragedy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. He came back and he he died from maybe smoke inhalation. So- We're not sure. There's a lot of I'm blood so- in his lungs for some reason. God, I'm sorry. Are we, have we reached, oh, in my food notes, um... All these scenes hanging around the house with the UB Mons and uh, Ezekiel Blort, they're just constantly referencing like tea and cookies. Like tea and cookies mm-hmm. are just flying around left and right. They're slapping <laughs> Charlie's hands when he reaches for them or whatever. Yes. Um, and we have, have we not reached about the sandwich. sandwich. We have not we have reached not the sandwich, about the sandwich, but okay. we're about we're going to very soon. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's um, yeah. Um, so he runs out and he takes uh, Rembrandt to the Pets Cafe. And he tells the Automouses about everything that's been going on. And Mr. Automouse is like, holy shit, he was in U-Beam Castle. He's lucky to make it out alive. I would never go there on, in a million years. Good goddamn. Never Charlie, go there, I know you've been doing a lot of adventures. That's the raid. That's endgame raid dungeon. <laughs> yeah. Like, do not go there, bro. Um, and then he swings by Ingledews to tell them that Patton is back. And then when he gets home, everyone's gone, because of course they are. Why wouldn't they be, you know, sitting there waiting for Charlie? And Patton is awake, and he tells Charlie about his childhood, and how Yolanda killed his mother, and then, like, indoctrinated his sisters. Charlie, boy, I've got so much internal bleeding. Can you go downstairs and make me the most fucked up sandwich you can imagine? Yeah, oh my god, yeah. Charlie Charlie makes him a sandwich and if you can recall y- that <laughs> yeah Jamie tell no, us about this exactly. sandwich okay so this sandwich <laughs> was uh cheese salami uh cucumbers and peanut butter and I thought like as I was reading these words I was like okay 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 peanut butter what <laughs> um and as I read it I just miles you had you had read through this uh, earlier than we had, so you were just like, "I don't think I can do the sandwich." Um, but as I as I was reading it today, I was like, "Ah, shit! I do have all of these ingredients." <laughs> so so I went. I got two pieces of fucking fucking Wonder Bread. Um, uh, the cheese was a craft single because this is a 12-year-old in 2004. I imagine he's eating craft singles. Um, because I had, like, I mean, I have some nice cheese in my house. I'm going to stand by this. But we got a handful of old craft singles kicking around. And I'm just like, I guess if it's for uh, propriety. Okay. Had some hard salami and uh, sliced up a little bit of cucumber. Uh, then I cut it in half. And then I put peanut butter on half of it because I'm like, I'm not eating the whole sandwich of this. I got to be honest. And I tried it and I was like, you know, passable. (laughs) I'm I'm willing to keep it in my uh, the recipe book of the mind as like this is the Charlie Bone sandwich. But and like I won't do it normally. But if anyone's just like, do you have any weird recipes? I'm going to be like. I have a sandwich from a children's book, which seems gross, but like it's not the worst. It's passable. Like I, I ate that whole half of the sandwich. 
I wasn't just like, oh, ew, gross. Because it wasn't like sardines. It, if you wanted to make like a really gross sandwich in the children's book, you say like, oh, sardines and yogurt and uh, Sour orange crowd. peels and, you know, I don't know, shit like that. Mm-hmm. And garlic salt. And that's and that's a sandwich that you put on a focaccia. And I'm like, no, that's that would be fucking stupid. But this was like, this was a passable sandwich. I was honestly surprised by it. I'm curious as to how that sandwich would stack up if you were really fucking high. <laughs> it, you know what? I've, I've, as I've been living with my uh, housemates, their limited versatility in applying the ingredients that you just happen to have in the house, I'm just like, okay, you have not been stoned at 2 a.m. before. Because if you don't think that you can mix th- these ingredients together to just make something, like, you have never been in a position position where like all you have in your house in the dead of night is like beets and cream cheese and tortillas and you have to make do with that you have to figure something out because you're really fucking hungry um and you know it's too late like the mcdonald's don't do 24 7 here so for like a child just like finding things to be like these are these are all things that go in a sandwich they go in different sandwiches but they all go in a sandwich so he's like i'll just put them all together there are four ingredients that could be used there are four ingredients that could be used to make three very good sandwiches yes there's a lot of different sandwiches anyway the other half of the sandwich was just uh uh salami and cheese and cucumber and i honestly found myself thinking like this needs a spread so maybe so I would go not. back to that with like a spicy mayonnaise, mm-hmm. probably not a peanut butter, but I could, but peanut butter and salami I can also see working because that sweet and salty goes together. I've had a lot mm-hmm. of good uh, peanut butter and bacon sandwiches, like the, on a nice toast. Like never I get tried that. The thing that really like kicked it into this sandwich doesn't work for me. The cheese is the breaking ingredient for me because like salami, cheese, and cucumber i don't i don't think cheese and cucumber should ever should ever like i don't like cheese and cucumber unless it is like unless it is like a very like mild maybe like a mild white cheese like that can be good like maybe maybe like a little bit of like a little bit of munster with some like cucumber finger sandwiches or something i don't know that might be okay that might be pretty good but like it's just it's just it's just a strange combo and cheese and i can't get behind cheese and peanut butter together on the same sandwich like that's no you wouldn't think so fortunately i only had one craft single so like there wasn't a lot of cheese it was not a prominent flavor in this mix okay but yeah cheese and or Peanut butter and salami, yeah, I can definitely, I can, I can fuck with that. I mean, when I was a kid, I absolutely made like peanut butter and bologna sandwiches, and that's good yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you want, um, random side note, but speaking of odd sandwiches in children's books, um, the picture book Carlos Sandwich has an endless string of the most bizarre. In- possibly deadly sandwiches i teach elementary school i know picture books <laughs> but um yeah posted link in the ch- anyway 
Oh, Fun time. I also interesting. I'll be sure. I, I'll be sure to compare this. Yes. I do also with, have a friend who puts uh, peanut butter on hot dogs instead of like ketchup or anything like that. They put peanut butter <sighs> uh, in the bun for a hot dog. I have tried it for some hot dogs. It's pretty good. For other hot dogs, no. For like, uh, like nice, a, a nice like beef dog, a little bit of peanut butter, very little peanut butter in there can be pretty good. Or like a chicken dog or a turkey dog? Hell no. Uh, no. No, my God. Uh, so <laughs> there's... Uh, oh, yeah, but Patton is chowing down on this sandwich while he's telling Charlie oh, yeah, about Patton his traumatic it. childhood. About how Yolanda killed his mother. And I guess, like, Patton managed to escape with his father. But Lyle, the two-year-old, was just still there for as long as Yolanda thought to keep... Griselda around. So how many years did uh, how many years did Lyle Bone spend in Griselda's house? Or yeah, that's no wonder he hated his family. No. Um, yeah, and oh not really God. the place to like raise a child when you're like out here, you know, killing everyone's parents and everything. Yeah, and Venetia was there from the age of twelve, which no fucking wonder she is both the most like Yolanda because she had the most formative time with her, but also like the most dangerous of them. She's fully cult brained. Like she's the most like indoctrinated to it. She wicked is. And, you know, honestly, no wonder that uh, Patton is the least followed by Griselda. She is the second least cult brained of all of them. Because, like, she does still say positive things about Charlie's father from time to time. She did still clearly love him. Even though he was a, a deviant. Excommunicated. He has diverged from our grand plan. These people, yeah. like, are like the fucking Bene Gesserit witches. They're, like, arranging <laughs> breeding and stuff. Like, he was not meant to breed with a mortal. <laughs> oh, I have some things about that. When Billy was talking about how Yolanda had two endowments, and that's, like, super rare, I started thinking, these fucking families, with their interlocking family trees absolutely have had arranged marriages where the goal was to like breed kids with like complementary dual endowments like that absolutely happened it's going full Todoroki over here yeah yeah. i was gonna say full Todoroki they're like they're doing eugenics on themselves they super are doing eugenics on themselves and realistically yolanda is like the most dangerous product of that she is the she is the like pinnacle of dangerous eugenics in this family she's got two extremely op powers she's like not only just human shape-shifting but like everything shape-shifting and crazy mind control yeah like all she has to do she's the real force to be reckoned with right now she fucking transforms into like your significant other or your best friend or your like parent and she walks up to you and you don't see anything wrong and then she hypnotizes you bam done mega spooky yeah mm-hmm. and uh, that's so just are, like so, it's so, yeah 
uh, we are in Patton's room, and Julia shows up, and she tries to see Patton, and we find out what took her so long to get there. She was just, like, getting a dozen roses for Patton, and shows up, and she gets chased away by Grandma Bone, who calls her a stalker. <laughs> Which, I, I don't understand Grandma Bone's motivations here, because one... We know that Julia Ingledew is a descendant of the Red King now. We know that for a fact. Two, she is a woman that Patton is interested in. Three, we know that they believe Patton has a responsibility to the family to carry on the genes. So, why is she well, not I th- I think, well, like, I on board with this? I thought Julia Ingledew was... No, I thought Julia Ingledew was a married in. Like, she, was, she got with Mr. Tolly of the Tolly Twelve Bells... Uh, no, her sister, her sister got with Tolly, which, okay, yeah, Tolly was the source of the, uh, connection there. Yeah, Tolly was not her, uh, was not her husband, she's, she's Emma's aunt, not her mother. Right. Um, She doesn't fit into the bloodline. That's right, that's right, she doesn't fit into the bloodline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah, but so she gets chased away and called a stalker, and she's like, I've never stalked anyone. <laughs> like, okay. Okay. All right, bye. How dare Julia. you accuse me? I could, I don't have the constitution to stalk anybody. Be like, what? I don't have the time. I'm a single mother and a business owner. I mean, tr- yeah. Yeah. Um, but then. Charlie talks to his uncle. He's like, yeah, the wand repaired itself. And when I went to Scarpo, he said that... Uh, you that went to Scarpo again? Do you went to Scarpo again? Yeah, I wanted to fix your endowment. what I tell you about going to Scarpo, Charlie? <laughs> He's bad news. Where is he? It, 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 he better still be in that painting, Charlie. You better <laughs> not have let him out of that goddamn painting, Charlie. He's a wizard. Yeah, it's totally fine. His mouse got out, but see, he's still in the painting. What that means? He's out! <laughs> You think well, a mouse can get out of the painting before Scarpo can? He's been itching to get out of that painting for centuries. Motherfucker, he's out there now. I mean, I just saw a shadow race down the street afterwards, and Billy felt someone step on his hand, but I thought that was the mouse. That is typical Scarpo material. He is always transforming into shadows. Ah, shit. And he's, like, creaking and groaning. I gotta go hunt Scarpo now. Yeah, Jesus. Because he is, he just says, like, that man's out in the world, and I'm in this state, like... Bro, like, you're gonna go toe-to-toe with Scarpo anyway, even at 100%. <laughs> and, Char- and Charlie, like, twice, Charlie said, Well, I guess uh, if Scarpo was causing trouble, I would have heard about it by now, so I guess it's okay. And I'm like, It has been what the three fuck? hours. Dude, what the fuck are you talking about? That happened last night. Charlie, have you turned on the news at any point? Oh my god, like, Charlie. I guess I'd have heard about it. From a man from the 15th century with blood magic is roaming the streets. This is awful. It's so fucking weird, yeah. Ugh. He, he's got a dagger that doesn't leave wounds. It just kills you in the heart. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. He took the train to London. He's at Parliament. <laughs> it's a fucking huge national security hazard, Charlie. He's got magic. I think it's interesting the possibility that Yorath can take away endowments. I think that's neat. 
Mm-hmm. Because yeah, the anti-superpower like, superpower. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. he's like a shapeshifter, so like maybe he has the ability to like leech energy off of people at a certain point too, like stealing their fucking souls. Bullshit. Or maybe that's not Patton. Maybe it's oh, not. No. Or maybe Patton's just really tired and he can't concentrate enough to get <laughs> his endowment working. And now Charlie lets Scarpo out of the fucking painting, guys. If I yep. don't have enough. <laughs> my legs still don't yeah. work. I got shot by lightning bolts because of wizards. That U-beam castle is a fucking crazy raid. Yolanda's out. Scarpo's out. Oh, God. I forgot Yolanda's already at fucking Bloor's. Oh. Yeah, he t- he tells Patton that Yolanda's here and she's taken form and she's in Bloor's. And he's like, fucking, are you fucking serious? I got my endowments taken away perfect- and my ass burnt for nothing. Also, why is Patton all burnt up and destroyed? Like, what happened there? Because Yolanda's a Charlie, I gotta be honest with you. This is just the perfect storm. This is a total shit show, Charlie. Yorath is a shapeshifter. He doesn't have pyrokinesis. Oy. Oh my god. Um, Where's Bulldova? He he can throw fire at people. Where's he? And they're like, I don't know. He left. Ah, yeah, got, got hypnotized again. Um, the last little bit of the book that we read, uh, Charlie went to the Pets Cafe even though everyone was like, yeah, I'm not going to be able to make it test. Uh, like the fucking standardized tests are happening right now. It's it's midterm season. We can't we can't afford to miss out on that study time. But Charlie gets his work done anyway, because he uses magic oh. to learn <laughs> French, <laughs> which is so good. I love yeah. that little bit. It's dumb, but I love it. And like you have a wand, you could heal Patton, but now I got to learn those conjugations. <laughs> Yeah, a fucking look up. Uh, uh, also, why wouldn't he use that on the Welsh dictionary? Mm-hmm. Use the wand to help him learn Welsh. And then he knows all the spells immediately. Yeah. Or like look in that Welsh dictionary for like med- the word medicine and then pointed at fucking Patton. You gotta go back. You gotta go all the way back in the fucking painting and be like, you could have the wand back if I could have some medicine. And he's and like <laughs> Scarpo like leans around Charlie and sees the door still open to the real world. And he's yeah. like, Ooh. <laughs> look at this dumb little child. Fucking Scarpo's just like, you know, Charlie, wand can be exchanged for many medicine. You can you can use magic for that. <laughs> <laughs> Explain how. <laughs> Currency can be exchanged for products and services. Uh, but they go to the Pets Cafe and they see Olivia and Lysander there. They're the only ones there. Um, They're just kicking it. Yeah. yeah. Lysander's agitated because his ancestors are angry about something. And he says he's not going to go to school the next day because he thinks there's trouble there for him. They ask him to come to school anyway so he can finish the carving. And he's just like, I'll think about it. And then, <sighs> and, and then we... And then we reach the end of the chapter, The Wand. Uh, the next chapter is going to be a... Uh, it's it's going to spend the first, like, half of it in Lysander's point of view. And we, like, follow Lysander home. And that's super fun. I, I really like Lysander. I think his family is interesting. And 
Like, we get to meet his mom. We've already met his dad, who is just, like, a judge with a oh, nice yeah, really car. I'm about Lysander. Yeah, I'd like to, like, learn more about him and, like, if he can actually, like, hear the voices of his ancestors. Be like, Scorpo is escaped. We do not want that deer in Uganda. <laughs> yeah. Um, but... Yeah, like, Lysander is really connected to shit. Um, including his parrot... Like, yeah. his parrot is clued into his ancestors somehow? Yeah, like the most keyed-in parrot, I guess. Um, he named his parrot Homer. But, yeah, that brings us to the end of the bit of the book that we read. Um, just, like, checking on shit. Unless, like... Yeah. Like why think, why do you why do you think Lysander's having this weird sense of foreboding? Is it like Scarpo I, is like more shit going on? I got the idea. So like um Yolanda sees uh Lysander's uh wood carving scheme and is just like, Oh, so that's how it is. So she knows how his stuff works and she's gonna maneuver that to like be to her advantage. And Scarpo is, as far as we know, out in the world, but, like, as a moving shadow. I think he doesn't have a body. I think Scarpo might be able to possess and animate the statue of Ollie so that Scarpo will, like, take physical form in the present day. Hmm. That's cool. And that's a fucking problem. That really is. Scarpo, an ancient evil wizard, uh suddenly coming into present day is a very big problem for yeah. everyone in the Charlie Bone series. I like how you worded that. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> what is, it, is, it is might Scarpo happen more than once. Red... <laughs> is Scarpo at all, like, of the Red King lineage? Does he have, like, the Red King sorcery? Like, the Bloors, like, have a little baby bit of? And Ezekiel's, so, like, mad that he's got, like, you know, stunted magic? So, he is. He is, um, I believe, an ancestor of Charlie's, technically. Okay. Uh, depending on how far back you go, I guess. Um, I, I need to check on something. Uh, but, like, while I am checking on that... Fucking yeah! What do you think is gonna happen with Scarpa? You think he's gonna take control of the, uh, of the statue and like do some crazy shit with that? Yeah, that's my call. If their scheme was that like the ancient ancestors were planning, as I'd said, on taking uh Ollie Sparks' soul out of his invisible body and then using it to animate the uh, carved form, uh, then I can see why they would be pissed about be like fucking the. The wizard's gonna get the wooden body before that kid does. What are you fucking doing, Lysander? Go d d destroy the sculpture if you have to. Scarpo's gonna get it. <laughs> and I like that idea. I don't know if we'll see it, but I just really... I want to see Scarpo interacting with the modern world. Like, I just want to see it. Like, him either perplexed by the magic of technology or straight up trying to conquer... <laughs> This little Welsh town, like, like the witch in the magician's nephew in the Narnia books, when she just tries to take over late, late nineteenth century, early twentieth century London. Just like, 
Yeah. Yep. I just want to see him. But we'll see. Yeah, there's... Oh, there's a lot there. Um... God, there's there's weird shit with the U-beams. I was taking a look at it because I remember... I hope we start seeing at some There's point like the kayfabe breaking on the U-beam where like maybe it's like Griselda or something and be like, Charlie boy, I've been reconsidering the scheming. You know, uh, my family's kind of fucked, actually. <laughs> we don't get along super great. And it's clear now that their morals aren't really, you know. Existing. The methodology of child rearing is suspect, to say the least. Yeah, it's... It should be interesting. Uh, oh yeah, where's Mr. Boldova? He's dead. He's he's in his skeleton is in a car in the same fucking quarry. He's just done. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. okay. This all right. I was looking up because I was like, isn't there something weird about, like, the first U-beam? And I was right, there is, and we'll get to it in the seventh book, I guess. Oh, God, the seventh book, Jesus Christ. Uh, I, I am looking forward to taking a break from Charlie Bone for a little bit in June. Yeah. Um, but, oh, uh, b -b 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 who's the man in Venetia's attic? Oh, um, uh, it's either Pilgrim, who they take home on the weekend, or uh, it's actually Boldova. He's not dead. Well, so that happened before Boldova got hypnotized. Oh, shit. He didn't I don't know end. who else it would be. Yeah, yeah and... it's gotta be Pilgrim or... Yeah. Yeah, because that's, that's the weird thing. Pilgrim does live in the school on the weekends, but we also haven't seen him at all this uh, this book. Like, Gabriel hasn't even mentioned having piano lessons so far. So like, oh, so every like every couple of months they take him back for reconditioning. He's strapped to the chair in the U-beam's apartment. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I had to, I had to like read more to the end of the book, and then like even. I had to read up on shit, and it was very hard to find, like, oh, who was that guy in the attic? Because I had to, like, really remember, like, or really, I couldn't remember. I had to really search to find out who he was, because I didn't remember them ever bringing that up with, like, with anything to do with Charlie's dad. Um, or it's something like, it's, uh, oh, no, it's Mr. Onimus. He's been replaced by the shapeshifter because I think anyone can at this point. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's entirely possible. We've we've introduced Yorath U-Beam to this, and he is another shapeshifter. And Charlie's just like, there's a man there who seems familiar to me. But he's looking in a window, like, many feet above his head during the day, like... Presumably, it's some Through, obscured like, prison vision. Prison grates. Yeah. Yeah. So. so, like, I mean, you mentioned before that you're not even sure that that's Patton in there. Maybe Patton is in Venetia's house, and this is Yorath in Charlie's house. 
Yeah, um, what Bulldova said really, like, elevated the stakes of be like, it could be anywhere. It could be the shape of anyone. Charlie, you can't trust anyone. They can, anyone could be the shapeshifter, even. And he looks at his own hands, and then he looks at Charlie, and then he starts, like, strangling Charlie. <laughs> like, I know you're here! You can't fool me again! Where's Ollie? Um, assuming that that is Patton... Is he ever going to slash how will he regain his endowment? The wand. I think it's going to well, be. Well, he wand. had a little bit of it, right? Like, we saw, like, a little bit of it coming back, huh? Yeah, it was, like, flickering a little bit. Mm hmm. So, if. If if it was. If his thing was totally out, then I would be. Then I might believe, like, okay, Uncle Patton is totally the shapeshifter right now. Uh, put him out the airlock. He's sus. Uh, because if he can't use Patton's endowment, like, we don't know necessarily that anyone can take away endowments, but we do know that people can shapeshift. And if someone could shapeshift into Patton but not replicate the effects of his endowment, then it's like, then he could pretend to be like, oh, they took my endowment. And it's like, no, it's not. No, they didn't. You just, you're the shapeshifter. Hmm. Yeah. Well, there is, there is the... No, so go I ahead. think his, his reaction to Julia showing up does seem very in character for Patton. Yeah. There is he the possibility... He was just like, oh, Julia, no. And the U-beams are like, get rid of her. He doesn't want to see you, you slut. There is the possibility that um, shapeshifters can replicate people's natural abilities, which endowments technically are. Because, I mean, think about um, think about Emma. She is, like, learning how birds do what they do and, like, has to really concentrate whenever she's changing form on what the birds' capabilities are and what they, like, look like and are. So, in theory... Wait, but she also made up a fictional giant bird that she could be. She did. She did, which is why... Which is why, uh, if that isn't Patton, the ability to use even a small amount of Patton's endowment isn't out of the question. Especially when you factor in, Patton hasn't been in U-Beam Castle since he was seven. So his endowment would have been weaker then. Hmm, okay. We'll see. Yeah. you got the rest of this book to deal with. We so, uh, uh, tune oh, in in two... How are they going to make Ollie Sparks visible? The bird. The bird yep. that's also in the jar is the secret invisibility reversal yep. bird. The bird. Otherwise, why would they introduce the bird? Yeah, why would they introduce It's the a bird? Chekhov's bird. I mean, it seems a little trite, but like literally, as we refer back to the first book, they were just like, you know who I think is the mystery girl? Uh, Amelia. Amelia Moon is the mystery girl who's actually Emma Tolley. And I'm like, and I was reading and be like, there's got to be, there's got to be a twist on that. They can't have guessed it the first time. And they did. It's yeah. sometimes it is that simple. Um, in this case, how are they going to stop Yolanda? Because, like, they've got to do something about her, because... <laughs> I I think they're going to stop Yolanda the same way they stop the U-beams and Ezekiel constantly, which is they solve the problem of the kid, they get the kid to safety, and then uh, Yolanda, like the U-beams and Ezekiel, just shake their fist and be like, I'll get you next time, Charlie Bone! <laughs> you haven't seen the last of me! That's the thing, Yolanda is an actual credible threat. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, 
if, Sorry, if what, they solve this think, problem, Dan? she might just kill them. Yeah, I think they'd have to hmm, possibly trap her in another form. Like, if not Bell, then some other kind of form. That way, she can't, her shape shifting can't be a threat anymore. But Ooh. I don't know about this, how they, they, what they would do about the hypnotism, but they seem to cope with Manfred, so. How do you st- how do you stop an evil shape-shifting person? You you lock them in a shape so they can't keep changing shape and yeah, make them not yeah, a yeah, struggle yeah. anymore. Pulling that fucking David in Animorphs strategy. I was gonna say we're bringing <laughs> yeah. in Animorphs rules. Yeah. Like you trick Yolanda into shape-shifting into a mouse, like Rembrandt or whatever, mm-hmm. and then you put her in the mouse cage and you'd be like, I mean, you can shape-shift back whenever you want, but uh, I hope you don't enjoy having skin or organs or bones. You fucking turn her into the mouse from Scarpo's painting, and you send her uh, back into his painting oh, with it. In the painting. That's Ooh. a good idea. Yes. Uh, okay, but that's opening up the fact that, like, Scarpo is the one who's allowed to take any mouse he finds into the painting <laughs> with him. Just because he <laughs> thinks it's his mouse from the painting. Well, I mean, if she's doing, like, sh- if she's doing shapeshift, you know, shapeshifting, theoretically she could be an identical version of that mouse, in which case... Mm, yeah, and an she's also version, very old and should same, be dead I, and reeks of black magic. I, <laughs> so when I envisioned both uh, Scarpo and the mouse coming out of the painting, I sort of believe that they're like painting people. Like if you looked at them in real life, if you looked at them closely, you would see like, oh, your skin is made out of brush strokes. That's weird. You're like an oil. You're like an oil paint person. But like stained glass night. Yeah, yeah like stained glass night. But like, it, 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 I just, I don't, I. It would be it would be really funky dimension logic if it's like if what Scarpo needs to return to the painting is a visually identical mouse and you trap a woman in that role in the painting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's that needlessly just seems convoluted. Wacky, tacky to me. It's needlessly convoluted, but so have been most of the plans so far. <laughs> It's great. Especially the one at the end of Time Twister. (laughs) Yeah. This series is goof. It's goof material. It is. Uh, But we need to know what happened to that mouse. The poor mouse is having an existential crisis that no rodent ever should. (laughs) Like, is is the mouse okay? No, I'm not worried about it because you know what's the same from hundreds of years ago as that is nowadays is a hawk. Yeah. So, <laughs> oh yeah, it's, it'll it's, that that mouse yeah. is done for anyway. Yeah, it's, it's I'm not yeah, worried about it. Yeah. It's it's like that post, you know, if you took a you took a human from any time period and put them in another, they would have a problem. You take a fucking duck, put them in another time, and they're like, "There's water, there's food. I don't care. I'm a duck." Like yeah. Mm-hmm. I want a mouse. I want a rat from like the 15th century to be like, "Hey, what's up? What year is it? I don't know. I can't keep track of time." But you, you ever hear of the plague? I, I, uh, I was part of that. You know, like I got involved like pretty early on in the first couple months, and uh, I think I clocked about like you know 17,000 bodies out there in uh, out there in uh, what you nowadays would call Italy. I wrecked it. Oh God. Oh. Why I'm do you think? <laughs> why do you think the wand seems to belong to Charlie? 
arbitrary bullshit like Magic Boy Fate. He stole it fair and square. Stole it fair and square is a great argument. I will yeah. ask, do you remember what the ants said about Charlie's hair in the first book? You've got you've got your father's hair? I don't know. No. They they were they are very upset about the hair. That is not U beam hair. Hmm. What if he's not what if he's not what if he's not U beam at all? What if he's not bone? What if his missing father isn't actually his father? Who's his real father? Maybe he's a descendant of Scarpo. No, not Scarpo. The well, the Welsh guy, the Welsh guy who originally <gasps> owned that. The one. Welsh wizard. The, yeah. Oh, okay, so okay. It's that the wand is his birthright. <gasps> no, oh, oh, dude. Here's what's up. He didn't get his endowment from his dad. He got his endowment from his mom because his mom is a secret descendant of the Welsh wizard. I like that idea. Unless, is the Welsh wizard also a child of the Red King? No. I like the idea that he's something else. Maybe, yeah, maybe he's like a separately magic guy. Yep. I mean, I will can't say this. Uh, they, the ants said that Charlie got his hair from his mother's side of the family. He said, Welshman. <gasps> Shit! I'm right. I got it. Yep, yep. I got yep, it right yep. there. Descended from the wizard. He's descended from the Welsh wizard. On his mom's side. Because yep. he's got that Welsh hair on his mom's fucking side. <laughs> All right. I, I want to see this. I want to see this get revealed now. That's excellent. Yeah. Well, thank you everybody for joining <laughs> us once again for a like two two and a half hour podcast where we uh needlessly belabor the minutiae of an adolescent fantasy novel uh it's the on air book fair podcast you know what it is we're gonna be back in two weeks with uh the second half of charlie bone and the invisible boy starting right after the chapter the wand and uh go to your local library find that book read it maybe you'll think something different about us uh, or th- uh, think something different <laughs> than what we thought. I'm sure they think very poorly of us at this point. But think something different about the book than what we thought of it. And if you have those thoughts and want to share them, uh, shoot us an email at onairbookfair at gmail.com. And uh, I, I'm sure we'll be sure to read it. Or uh, sh- uh, you can put us, you can give us a message at anchor.fm. Uh, because that's our hosting website and you can literally like leave voice messages and if you do and like just want to give your first name or even a pseudonym like I'll, I swear to god I'll put it in the podcast we'll have a little like listener segment and uh, Miles is petting his cat right now what's her name? Mochi Hi Mochi Oh this is Mochi I don't, I've never seen Mochi. Mochi She needs a lot of attention all the time uh, It's a fully black cat with no, Oh, oh tuxedo. Oh, tuxedo no kidding. Cat. Got the neck and the upper chest that are white. Wow. And little white paws, too. That is absolutely tuxedoed out. I'm about to take that cat to the gala. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else you two would like to say? Um, I am really looking forward to continuing with this book and starting... Well eventually starting on the next one um because 
I was wrong. I said before that book two was one of my favorites. Book two is all right. Book three had a lot of my favorite shit in it. Um, like I full on thought that Bell came out in book two. And yeah, mm -hmm. it's been a while since I read these. Book three is really good and book four is also very good. But we're going to be taking a little bit of a break after book three to do some other shit. To do right. literally any other book series, I'm like, it's starting to all blend together with Charlie Bone. Because like, today they're at the pet cafe, and then I go back home, and Grandma Bone yells at me, and then I go back to school, and then I'm back at the pet cafe, and I'm back to school, I got lost in the dungeon, I'm at the pet cafe, Grandma Bone's yelling at me. <laughs> I'm also very it's excited, just... because while we've been recording this, uh, the Mass Effect Legendary Edition has come out, and I mm -hmm. am pumped to play that. Because nice. I fucking love that. that I almost said book series. I love the game series. I do love a lot of the books, though. Uh, Drew Carbishan took from us too early. I don't think he's dead, but he is not writing Mass Effect books anymore. <laughs> yeah, um, that, that is correct. <laughs> Dan, anything you'd like to plug? Oh, man. Uh, I'm also looking forward to reading more books, uh, but I... Last last episode, you guys were talking about Infinity Train, and since then, oh, yeah. I have watched the first three seasons, and I I love it. So, like, not a lot of spoiler alert, but this is like, it's not just a children's cartoon; it's sort of like an adolescence cartoon. They mm -hmm. do turn a human being into a melting skeleton all the way. Yeah. They kill the absolute shit out of a person. Like, yeah. on camera, so it gets pretty fucking heavy. It's really incredible. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. The writing's phenomenal. The emotional arcs are just uh, adult-level <laughs> fiction, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's it's really, really good. Um, and it must be finished. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I, get em, I'd, uh, happily, to, I'd happily just read some more, like, read some comics of it. Just, go just harass uh, graphic novels. Go uh, harass. I don't know Turner Broadcasting. I think they own Cartoon Network or like or HBO and Warner Brothers. Like go talk to them about like, hey, Infinity Train's good. Make money, make good things instead of marketable things. Um, oh, well. Owen Dennis also very recently shared some images from uh, like some some uh, concept art from the season that was or season slash movie that was going to be focused on amelia so you should check those out on his twitter cool yep. uh meanwhile this week go make yourself a sandwich of uh, cheese peanut butter salami and cucumber sounds not great it's not too bad uh go read carla's sandwich by debbie herman and uh go google a picture of james hong as old David Lopan from Big Trouble in Little China. If you look at this man and all of the uh, movie magic prostheses of old man face he's put on his head, you'll see exactly what I think Ezekiel Bloor looks like. <laughs> Go watch Big Trouble in Little China. It's fucking killer. Um, that's it. We gave you the one more time the email onairbookfair at gmail.com and that's it. We're done. Goodbye. Good night. Bye. <laughs> All right. And stop recording and now.